We who are about to die salute you. I hope we remember how to how to do this. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, hey, how's good. it going, everybody? Uh, this is uh, Chris and Chris, and it's uh, hey, it's Monday. It's Moratory Monday. Well, more, uh, you know, it's been so long, I forgot how to say it right or wrong. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I hey, I think we uh, skipped a Monday or two somewhere along the lines here, Sheehan. I don't know about I, you. I, I, I want, I, you know, Monday kind of just fell off the calendar. I didn't know if it was even a thing uh, anymore. Yeah. In, in this in this new decade, I thought we were doing without them, so uh, I didn't know where that left us. But uh, hey, you know, I, I found the I, I found the right calendar, so we are back at it. Um, we'll just consider this season two. So there yeah, you go. Why not? Why not? Why not? We can definitely consider this the next season, especially since we did leave off on quite, 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 quite a cliffhanger, which is a what you know television shows and all sorts of shows tend to do. Uh, before they end a season so we can just uh we can play it off like that but uh you know before we (laughs) before we get started though um just a little bit of transparency um you know i uh before i started podcasting i would always uh kind of shake my head in disbelief anytime i'd hear one of my favorite shows or even just one of the shows that i listened to whether or not they were my favorite doesn't really matter but uh anytime i'd hear a host of a podcast say that uh the dreaded quote, life got in the way. And I always shook my head at that and I rolled my eyes and I'm like, oh, you're being lazy. You're making excuses. And uh, well, uh, I promised I'd never do that. And for almost four years, I was able to hold true to that. But uh, here we are. <laughs> life got in the way. <laughs> and uh, in, in the interest of, uh, you know, of just being honest with uh, with our listeners, it's a uh, uh, over the past few months, um, I don't know how widely known it is, but uh, Reggie did have a setback in, uh, in on Christmas Day, as a matter of fact. Uh, it's not something I really talk to really anybody about, but I, I figure, you know, I, I should tell folks that something, you know, did go down. Um, and after that, I really kind of just lost my passion for it, for this. Uh, and every time I felt like the passion was coming back, I'd kind of get... Uh, for lack of a better term, I'd get kicked in the confidence where, uh, you know, it's like you get tired of the sound of your own voice. Sometimes you get like just really just stuck in your own head and you start thinking like, you know, what, what what's the point? And, uh, you know, I, I do apologize if anybody was looking forward to the programs on this channel and I, I just haven't delivered. And I, I, if I've let you down, I do apologize. But, you know, uh, it, it happens sometimes, I guess. Um I think yeah. what's important, Chris, is that we are back, yes. and by golly gosh, if the world needs anything, it's some great podcasting content. So if you're home, you're chilling, hopefully relaxing, staying safe, plug those earphones in. We are mm-hmm. ready to rock you a brand new episode of Moratory Mondays, and and what Absolutely. better time 
then uh, you know during the Armageddon, Chris, it's it's you know <laughs> it's it's vo- <laughs> it's volcanoes, it's earthquakes, you know dogs sleeping cats with and cats, dogs. Yep. it's mass hysteria. <laughs> but we're here by God, and guess what, man? I I'm I'm glad to hear you finally back on the uh, back on the old airwaves, sir, because I missed you as well. I appreciate it. Thank you very, very much here. It's uh, something we say uh, all too often off the air, but, you know, creating content can be very, very lonely. <laughs> and it can be. Uh, and from time to time, it can be very unrewarding and uh, or unsatisfying, I suppose, might be a better term for it. But uh, sometimes you just need to get over yourself and uh, push forward. And that's what I intend to do here. And I'm happy that uh, that uh, you haven't abandoned me, uh, listeners and oh, co-hosts. <laughs> so, uh <laughs> Why don't we just hop into uh, – we used to have this thing where we had actual recruits that were part of the show, and uh, believe it or not, their adventures have continued during our absence. How about, how about you catch us all up to, on, up to speed on where these folks are at? So, yeah, so we are back. We are back with our recruits, and we have not forgot you. Absolutely not. So basically we're going to dive right in. Uh, we're going to dive in exactly where we left off. So – uh, we left. We last left our fellow recruits, Force Field and Flash Forward. They are on the runs, and by God, they're in the very bowels of the Moratory headquarters. And they're uh, they're fleeing from a horde whose uh, impromptu attack on the facility has basically cost the team its first casualty. Actually, as uh, Lockshot apparently fell in the heat of battle protecting his friends. So just so they could escape safely down the elevator shaft to freedom, uh, he put his life on the line, Sheehan. And uh, mm-hmm. by God, it appears that uh, Lockshot has left us, our first casualty. But anyway, our other our other recruits are there hiding in a dumpster because they don't want no part of the the, uh, the whole death situation. So um, while inside the dumpster, they made a little discovery. There was some laboratory hazardous waste inside the disposal dumpster caning, uh, containing exactly what appears to be a cure to the moratory process. Imagine Uh-oh. that. Yes. <laughs> now, Flash Forward waves the vial triumphantly in the air, and he looks, uh, you know, looks to their feet where the racks of liquid just sit all around in this dumpster. I mean, what a spot to be, uh, you know, they just threw the, <laughs> they threw the cure out. Those sure. guys, they don't want anything to do with that. But both men look at each other when they realize, you know, my God, we got the cure here. So these guys start hoarding and they start filling their pouches with the vials. And excitedly, they exit the dumpster very stealthily. Now, to the right of the dumpster is a maintenance door. Of course there is. There's always a maintenance door somewhere in the bowels. <laughs> now, of course, this is armed, like like all maintenance doors would be. Um but once opened, you know, they know that the uh, the door is going to sound an alarm and alert the horde to their location. You know, so they've they've evaded the horde pretty well up to now, hiding in the dumpster. They saw them go by, so they're doing pretty good. But anyway, once the door opens, um, Force Field actually creates a soundproof barrier around both men and shoulders the door open to the outside. Uh, you know, the men see the facility is completely surrounded by horde vehicles, one of which is unattended. So both men commandeer a waste disposal vehicle from the receiving bay. Now, once inside, Force Field, still using those protective barriers, right over the top of the vehicle. And they start down the road. They uh, jump into the machine and break through the side of the receiving bay door and to the outside, almost undetected. Now, the burst... Uh, has shattered one of the cure vials in Flash Forward's pocket. Now, that actually, you'd think that would be great. Hey, I'm instantly cured. However, (laughs) it starts pooling around his leg and burning through the seat. 
and his leg. Now, panic starts to set in, and Flash Forward's body actually begins to shudder, almost in like a seizure-like thing, as the effects of the moratory process takes over Force Field. Uh, Force Field, who is driving, knows what is happening as the liquid begins to cause like this smoky haze. You can you can imagine now someone burning next to you. They're like crispy bacon. What's happening? Oh, there? sure. Inside the vehicle as they barrel down the road to freedom. Now, just imagine you guys are free. You just escaped. A, <laughs> you just escaped a facility and possibly, you know, getting killed by uh, horde invaders. And all of a sudden, <laughs> your friend starts to light up like a uh, uh, like a candle beside you. So. He knows that his friend can't stay in the vehicle, so with Flash Forward melting before his eyes in the passenger seat, Force Field actually releases the protective barrier around the vehicle, places it over his friend as to contain, you know, what's going on with him, his burning, opens the passenger door, and actually he kicks his friend out the side door. <laughs> and he struggles to reach and grab the door to close it frantically as he continues on down the road. Now, in the rear view, he can see his friend just completely combust, you know, with the moratory process. However, he's still inside his uh, his protective barrier. He looks while he's trying to drive down the road as he's trying to clip his seatbelt back in. And he's trying to secure the vials, which are just clanging against each other. And, you know, he's just seen what these damn things can do. So if these are a cure, boy, did it not work on his good friend here. No. Anyway, anyway as he's driving down the road, he's distracted. And suddenly a figure literally climbs out of the shadows from the woods and he slams on the brakes literally skidding sideways down the road just trying to avoid a collision and still checking on his vials which are clanging next to him and uh all of a sudden he sees someone who's a little bit too familiar by god it's Lockshot, and he's in some bad shape boy he's banged up and mm. he looks he looks into the passenger vehicle window and he's relieved to see his friend and with a battered smile he goes Hey, man, can you spare a lift? <laughs> <laughs> so Forcefield motions to the burned passenger side and opens the door, and the men jump back in the vehicle and escape down the familiar path through the woods. And that is go. our update. So even though you know we got to see Lockshot, he survived, we lost one for certain this time. So flash forward, oh, it's been nice knowing you, brother. It has been. Vaya con Dios, my friend. And if we had if we had uh, boys the men here now, they would sing End of the Road. But they're not. So there you go. Do we do we at least have like Sarah McLaughlin to sing She'll Remember Him? <laughs> do you know that every single time like you have a memorial like they play Sarah McLaughlin? I wonder does she make money? Does she make <laughs> does she make money off of that every single time? I think I, I think Sarah McLaughlin is Canadian, so I, I'm Canadian too. So I'm going to speak to Sarah McLaughlin. Sarah McLaughlin, if you make money off of everybody that dies, uh, number one, shame on you, and self high five on top of that as well. <laughs> Good for you, darling. She could be the uh, she could be on the soundtrack for Strike Force Moratory for sure. <laughs> I oh, kind of like Twisted Sister, but uh, you know. <laughs> yes. If that one runs dry, Sarah's always there. You know, it's funny, uh, talking about uh, the Twisted Sister song, um, I don't know if you've ever watched the program uh, Superstore. Um, oh, indeed I do. Okay, okay. Brother, so you are brother familiar. I, have, I have lived Superstore. <laughs> I was going to say, this is very, very relevant to your life. So. <laughs> 14 and a half years at a company that is extremely similar, and I will not name them, Superstore. <laughs> there you go. Well, that that might be a spin-off uh, show we could do because I, I, we, me and the wife have been absolutely loving that show. And uh, 
you know, every so often they do like a little like an interspersed bit where they show like a uh, like a customer doing something weird or gross yeah. or something like taking a bite out of a candle or something. And uh, <laughs> they always play like the elevator music versions of songs during this, yes, like you'd is. hear in, a, in like a stereotypical store. And one of them was the, the price from what? Twisted Sister. Hold on here. Do do we have like do we have rights over that song right now or is that still like in limbo and like D Snyder's waiting to snap the door on us one day I don't know he might who knows but I couldn't believe it because I, I I heard that out of the, just like the corner of my ear and I'm like like I thought maybe I accidentally hit play on my phone or something and I was starting up the show and it was like no wow that's actually on Superstore right now they're playing that, playing the price that show and listen if any of us listeners if any of you listeners out here have ever worked in retail i mean if you worked in it for a long time it is has so many built-in quirks and you work with some weirdos over time and let me tell you over the course of my 14 years in uh, one particular company i have met the best the worst and the most interesting cantina star wars scene crew of people you have ever seen in your life <laughs> And maybe one day, I think that may be, Retail Stories may be a fantastic podcast, Chris. I don't know. If any, if any of our listeners will want to hear that one day, I think we should uh, we should definitely light that one up. <laughs> it was, uh, it's funny because I, I, uh, I can see some of the parallels, but I, I spent most of my working uh, time in, in an office. So I relate a lot to the show The Office, you know, where yes. you do have those archetypal characters and, and it seems like every office has... You know, the, every office has a Dwight and every office has, you know, a kiss ass. And it's um, it's so funny. And uh, I could definitely see I worked in retail for about a week and a half. Um, <laughs> That's enough, bro. I, yeah, I worked for I, I will name the company. I worked for Hobby Lobby. Um, they were building. Lobby. Yes. Uh, explain. Explain. I'm Canadian. I do not know what oh, Hobby Lobby is. OK, well, they are they are a store that's. Perhaps most notorious for the fact that they're closed every Sunday because, uh, you know, they, they for, for, you know, uh, families of faith and uh, for family time and stuff like that. Um, but they've also made some uh, a disparate. I, I haven't looked into these remarks, but uh, I've heard that they've made disparaging remarks about, uh, you know, people they don't agree with. And, oh, you know, kind of kind of the Chick-fil-A sort of thing. Oh, um, God damn. <laughs> But <laughs> there you go. But uh, I was uh, it was 2012, and uh, I, I was at a point where I was uh, where I was using like the same the same coffee filter for like two weeks in order to have a cup of coffee in the morning because I was that broke. And uh, and I remember I stood online for probably four or five hours to get an interview at this at at a, at a different Hobby Lobby because the Hobby Lobby I would be working at wasn't built yet. So I get in, I sit down in front of the guy and he goes, he's like, he looks me up and down. He goes, okay. He goes, how's your back? I'm like, like my back's fine. He's like, okay, you start next week. I'm like, wow. Okay, cool. Yes. <laughs> he just want, he just wanted me there for the build. And as soon as the store was opened and uh, functioning, I got sent away. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. I would love to say that I've never done that before, but I would be a damn liar. <laughs> so uh, how's how's your back and how's your heart there guy oh you're good your heart is not too bad you're hired can can you walk quick can you walk okay. so you've only you've only you've only had one one stroke and you still have one leg you're good you're good enough 
<laughs> you can use both arms, right? Okay. <laughs> you can carry a box and a plate. Oh man, it, it's uh oh I can't. Uh, this this podcast is rolling through my head. <laughs> make it make it so make it so faithful listeners. I think we'll have to make that happen. But first, <laughs> we have assembled here for another reason all uh, all together here, and that is to discuss issue 12 of uh, Strike Force Mori Turi. Turi? Turi. Turi. I think Turi. it's Turi. It's been a long Turi. time since I've said it. Turi. And, uh, you know, the first thing about this issue is it has a lousy cover. Hmm. Now, this is a cover that... You know those some of those comics you have in your collection, and you just know the cover. Like it's one of those sure. books that seems to be everywhere. It's on the floor. It's in the middle of your collection. Yep. It's in the bathroom. It's it's one of those books that just occupies time and space. Well, <laughs> for this one, for all my Strike Force Moratory collection, it's always been this one. This is the the literal dish rag and toilet paper of my comic collection. It's it's always there, but it's actually a really good, a really really strong issue. So oh, I'm excited to get started. Fantastic. But the uh, this cover, it's uh, it's basically it's a white background, so there's really no background. This is a uh, a Liefeldian background, I guess we can call it. And uh, <laughs> they have, have their feet. <laughs> they do have feet. Uh, we've got Aileen uh, pouncing on Lewis, uh, but not in that way. Uh, don't be perverted about it. Um, hmm, now the word poor Louis. <laughs> poor Louis. Now the word traitor, followed by a question mark, is prominently placed in the caption above the picture. And there's a uh, Hordian all bound up in the bottom right corner of the cover. It it looks very like slipshod, very incomplete. Like yeah, it's it's like they it's a last minute you know race to the finishing line type of yeah type of cover here yeah. with color forms. You know, it's like it's like they did it with <laughs> color forms. It's like we'll fit this here, this here. Well, where's a table go? I don't know. Where do we fit a table? Forget the table. Screw the table. But, Have uh, you ever used press, Presto Magic? No. Okay, so you know you have color forms. So you're talking about color forms sure. where you just you know is Presto Magic play... the ones that shrink? No, no, those, those are shrinky dinks. So okay. Presto Magic is basically you get a scene. So it might be like a city or something like that. Okay, and okay. you get a transfer sheet and like a plastic pen, and basically the sheet of transfers is like heroes posed in different things, and you basically scrape the little transfer sheet and your character appears in whatever position you want to put them on the little little sheet presto oh, magic I'm... check it out yeah it's a uh, presto magics it ends with an x magic uh, i'm looking at it now yeah i see uh, a scene with the hulk fighting juggernaut you it got it like it's uh probably where somewhere out of like maybe the late 70s yeah, early they, 80s they... Well, maybe they were. Maybe our stores were still carrying that crap here in the 80s, but I had a bunch of them. But, yeah, this would, this cover looks exactly like a Presto Magics cover. So, See here, they were originally made by the Papermate division of Gillette from 1975 to 1978. How about mm. that? And they had, all kind, they had all kinds of licenses. They had the Marvel Popeye, license. Popeye, Zorro, Star Mighty Wars. Mouse, you yeah, name it. G.I. Joe, Yogi Bear, WWF. Wow. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, brother. <laughs> Going to have to snap into that sometimes. <laughs> but, but, yes, this this cover, all that to say, this cover looks very, very slipshod and oddly put together. But uh, one of the things what, about the cover, one of the things about the cover that I will say is that <clears> it said it bears the word traitor. So anyone who's listening along, uh, Louie, one of the moratory, 
is is basically the traitor of this entire book. So it's true. Uh, just for a little backdrop, if you don't understand the context of why someone's called a traitor, uh, Louis was in contact with one of the horde uh, via his VCOM, which is a little, you know, basically uh, Skype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. PDA, PDA with with some Skype access there, <laughs> and they offered him the cure in return for basically moving his friends into position, and that's basically mm-hmm. what he did. So he put uh, he basically delivered the his friends the moratory right into the heart of Hordeville for on a, a shot of the, platter on yeah. a silver platter for the cure. So hence mm-hmm. the term traitor. Absolutely. Now we open the issue, and it uh, we we find ourselves on the inside the B deck of the Hordian spacecraft that we left our heroes on last time. Uh, we can see here that the Emersons, uh, that be Harold's parents, uh, parents uh, Harold was Viking. He died quite a while ago. Um, now we see them talking about just how freaked out they are about everything that's gone on. In a really uh, annoying bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Harold's parents refer to one another as mother and father. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, we we all have our fetishes, but this is a little off-putting. I, yeah, wow. that that always kind of creeps me out. Anytime you'd see like an old-timey couple be like, "What do you want to do tonight, mother?" Oh, I don't oh. know, father. Oh, do you know that my my dad, uh, Mr. Mr. Now now don't laugh at his name because you know he he does have fists of steel. Uh, mm. Mr. Burley Bailey. <laughs> that wow. is his name. That that's his name. Double B, like <laughs> Arn Anderson. Uh, he he calls he calls my mom mother all the time. Come on, mother, really? let's leave. Let's go, mother. So uh, this this really translate well to the Bailey family, I will say. But boy, do pet pet names suck. I mean, look at the ones in look at the ones in 2020, man. I mean, we got what do we got here? We got Boo, we got Bay, we got <laughs> my ride or die. Oh my oh, God, it, I want to puke. I'm gonna he's gonna he's gonna puke. Oh my my God, he's gonna. <laughs> so uh, do you have any pet names for your uh, significant other? You know, I and you, that you'd care to share anyway. I think it's just just the common terms. Hey, babe, uh, mm. you know that that type of thing. Nothing, nothing out of whack. You know, my my <laughs> wife is my wife is actually named Roxanne, so you know, okay. maybe maybe Roxy, or I might call her Rosie, and that just that just irritates her. But I do that for just for fun. <laughs> Come on, Rosie. I uh, I I tend to call my wife. I call my wife Chick. There you and, go. Uh, and and it's funny if I'm talking to her on the phone, it's like I'll be like, "Love you, chick," and then someone someone will hear that, will be like thinking like I'm talking like a 1950s greaser or something, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm being disrespectful or something. <laughs> no, I assure you, it's just a just what I call her. Uh, so, no. <laughs> just just a shot of uh, just a snapshot of where I live in Canada. So it's mm-hmm. it's a place called Newfoundland, new mm-hmm. and you know it's it's mispronounced all the time. You know, Newfoundland. New Newfoundland, <laughs> Newfoundland, Newfoundland. I mean, there's just so many like wrong variations. Anyway, we have our own interesting dialect. Now, mm-hmm. uh, so mom and dad are usually called mother and father here. Hey, really? mother. Hey, mother. What are you doing? Not much, father. <laughs> how's how's that? <laughs> I'm probably is, is, butcher, butchering my own uh, my own dialect here, but is yeah. Camp is Camp Granada up there? <laughs> it is not. <laughs> So, you know, if, uh, you know, if you're bored tonight, you know, make sure you pick up the phone and call your mother. <laughs> and also talk to your father. Very important. 
uh, back back in New York, we just say ma, you know, yeah, ma. ma. Hey, ma. <laughs> ma. Yeah. But uh, we have uh, here, we have mother and father. They were uh, <laughs> they hear the uh, they hear the moratory arguing amongst themselves, and they decide to check out what all the hubbub's about. Now, Louis, our man, our traitor, is trying to defend his actions. Uh, you know, as we mentioned, he's sort of kind of working alongside the horde in order to get that cure to the mortuary process. Uh, none of his teammates are really buying what he's selling. Um, but even if they did believe him, at the very least, Louis has really, really, really put a hurting on Strike Force Murray's reputation among the citizens of Earth. I mean, he makes the entire team here look like they're traitors to the to the cause that they were built for. So it, it's a uh, not a lot of forethought here. It was just a lot of uh, survivability and uh, not much else uh, from our man Louis. Exactly. Now uh, the team stops arguing when they notice that Harold's folks have entered the scene. After some terse and tense introductions, uh, <laughs> we get uh, Harold's father, whose name is Justin. He starts. He just goes nuts. He starts lashing out at the team because they killed his son. So the, the moratory, you know, they always end up taking the brunt for all this stuff, you know, because yeah. they take, uh, you know, when normal commoners, I mean, we saw a couple issues back where, you know, a father who lost his son, of course, blamed the moratory. Now we have these these uh, idiots, the Emersons. And I mean, they are the <laughs> they are the prototypical, you know, uh, probably a little bit upper class, sure. you know, uh, high rolling uh, vacationers basically socialites like. yeah so yeah, yeah. They're, they're yeah and they're really really you know upper crust type people so they're going to give it to these you know these moratory how dare they kill their son mm-hmm. and it's funny though we do see here that uh justin emerson has uh quite the glorious rat tail <laughs> which you wouldn't expect uh from from a man of his age uh which makes me wonder if Harold's weird front hair braid thing was maybe a, like a reverse tribute to his father. It was like <laughs> you know, he put on his wig backwards. Oh God! <laughs> did you uh, did you ever take any of your hair tips from your parents? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. No, Mrs. Emerson tries to calm Justin down by calling him father. To which he responds, "I'm not a father anymore." <laughs> which, uh, I guess uh, I guess that's why they were calling each other mother and father, just to get to that one line. Um, now he demands that the team return them to Earth at once. Now Louis pleads with them. He tries to explain how much they all loved Harold. This was not, you know, they had they had nothing to do with his death. They all loved him like a brother, and uh, it's really, you know, really too bad what happened to him. They they all sympathize, empathize, and all that eyes. Yeah. Um, Big Robert, however, has had quite enough of this BS, and he uh, does what he does best. He slams his fist on the console. He declares that Louis' actions, regardless of how it makes them look, has, in fact, brought them closer than ever to taking down the Horde. He states, he and he, he takes full control here. He is the man in charge. He says, Jaylene... Yes, He's he's given out orders. Jaylene will use her powers of analysis to decode the Horde's trophy collection in hopes of learning more about their weaknesses. Now, Toxin, uh, one of our newbies, she is not cool with bringing civilians along with them to the Horde satellite. And she insists that they drop them off on Earth before going any further. <laughs> Listen, Toxin seems like literally the only character in this book who seems to like 
make sense of everything. She's the only one who talks any sense whatsoever. She's, I mean, she's the only one remaining like rational and not putting her emotions into it. She seems like very analytical. She's like the voice, the voice of the reader, who's the you know, voice of if, reason, the voice yeah, of the reader, if, yeah. Yeah, she's like the Jim Ross. She's like explaining, you know, <laughs> this is what we should do. The obvious, you know what I mean? Yes. In, in one sense, you know, we got the team. They're on like a suicide mission to kill the horde, while the others are just. You know, they're just traders who who are in it for the cure, and just the rest are just along for the ride. I mean, we got to just a complex mixed bag of characters here. You know, I'm just saying, if my life is on the line, I'm gonna make damn sure that I'm doing what's best for me. I'm the last guy who's. I listen. You say what you want about anybody, but listen, if if my life was on the line or my family's, I, I'm the captain who uh, I ain't going down with no ship, brother. I'm the first one off. So free the lifeboats. I'm getting the fuck off the Titanic, brother. <laughs> it's uh reminds me of the uh, George Collin joke where uh where he talks about how like he's like meeting tough guys who were uh who if they were ever in a coma and he'd be like it's like these guys in a coma say if I'm ever in a coma you know pull the plug on me I don't want to live like that <laughs> and then Carlin goes not me save my ass <laughs> I, I want you jumping on my chest to get my heart beating again <laughs> exactly that's me I'm, I'm right there with you. Now, now Big Bobby, he, he doesn't like this lip from Toxin, and he tells her to slow her roll. Because if they go back now, the Horde will most definitely be ready for them when they come back. Hell, you know, they're probably going to be on Earth waiting for them as it is. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, Big Bobby, he puts his foot down and says, uh-uh. They're pressing <laughs> on. Now, Aileen apologizes to Louie. Uh, she believes that what he did, he'd done for Jaylene's benefit. Oh. <laughs> now, not being able to quit while he's ahead, Louie corrects her. And he says, no, no, this isn't for Jaylene. It was, it was for me. It was I didn't want to die. So it seems, at least like we it give seems, him some honesty. It, but the team, they just accept him. So Robert, a little bit later on, just concludes that, oh, yeah, like, you know, Louis is so dedicated to the team. He delivered us straight to the horde so we could murder them. When really he's like, no, screw you guys. I'm getting cured. I don't know. That's it. You know I, what I mean? I, I, yeah, I want I want the cure. That's it. Give me the inoculation. That's yes. all I'm and, here for. And Louis is sort of trying to be he's like, no, like, I'm sort of really doing it for me. And yeah. like the team doesn't care. So he just goes, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah, I'm a hero. <laughs> I'm a hero. Yeah, I brought us to the horde, man. <laughs> but it's like he doesn't even flinch with his lies. You know, it no, just he doesn't. Continues on into the next issue as well. Like <laughs> Mr. Arminetti, he's like responsible for like so many bad things happening to his teammates, especially mm -hmm. in the near future because of this betrayal. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> now we hop back to Earth and uh, we enter into Biowar Facility Alpha, which we know better as The Garden. We were there in Ooh. issue two. Now, Dr. Tulima wheels Commodore Beth Neon's gurney into the thick jungle. Did you now say the, com Commodore? Com did I say Commodore? I might have. <laughs> do, you adore your, do you adore your 64? Your Commodore 64? <laughs> anyway. Well, Cheap plug. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, uh, it's funny. The reasons why he is doing this are actually very clever because we learned either last issue or a couple issues ago, Beth Neon's powers have turned against her because, you know, she is about to die. The, all the Moritori powers will eventually turn against their systems. And uh, Tulima, since Beth Neon's powers are, you know, activating plants, making plants bloom, he decides it might help her 
to be among plant life. So her powers would like work outwardly instead of working inwardly against her normal body chemistry, which I thought this is really, really a very clever use of her powers, which I mean, they are worthless, but, uh, (laughs) but I mean, in an effort to keep her alive for a little bit longer, I think this is really, really cool. Me too, man. Like, I mean, just the character Beth neon alone. I mean, it's just, she's a fascinating character because, you know, she started as this tough as nails, uh, you know, female commander and, you know, back in the day, that wasn't a thing. So, I mean, this was like this, this whole story is pretty progressive. I mean, it really resonates in 2020 where you see a lot of females, Mm -hmm. you know, taking leadership roles and like push to the forefront and all this stuff. So, you know, this book really did a lot for, you know, just diversity, but done, but done right. It doesn't feel rammed on your throat. You believe it doesn't. Yeah. No, Beth Neon is a legit person. You know what I mean? She's she feels like the ranks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like she suits this role and her story is just with the with her taking the moratory uh, process. It's just like this unexpected curveball. Like she was the commander. uh, You didn't know she had any secrets. You thought she was by the book. And we were almost led to believe that she was a traitor with all these mysterious secrets. It but instead, like yeah. But instead, she's like a rock solid loyalist to the cause, man. I mean, <laughs> I really dig the character. Uh, you know, Moratori, the the power sets are the most unique. I mean, you think about the powers of these people. I mean, you have someone who can uh, analyze, for example, mm-hmm. or good, <laughs> good old adept. I mean, what do you do with? Do you send someone into battle when their only power is analyzation? <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. And now you got someone who can grow plants, make plants bloom. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I dig the character and having the knowledge, you know, uh, why she never let her hair down. I, I don't know why that they just never let her, you know, have a night out with the gang. You know what I mean? We never it's really true. got to see that for Beth. And it's and it's a real shame. It is. It is definitely is. And and I, I like I, I want to build on to the, the diversity of the power sets here, because uh, I was just writing um, I was just writing about. Uh, Giant Size X-Men number one, where uh, it was like the first time in the X-Men universe where we had like a bunch of characters just dropped on us, you know? Um, yes. When I grew up reading the X-Men, it was, you know, the early 90s, so we weren't getting these big, you know, boatloads of characters dumped on us. All we were, we were getting like one issue, you know, Gambit would first appear. Then we'd have like Jubilee and, and Bishop. So we would learn about these singular characters one after the other, and we would actually be able to get to know them, you know? It was it was a smart way to introduce them, but, I mean, giant-size X-Men is just like, oh, remember your X-Men? Well, they're the shits. Here's some new guys. <laughs> Here's some new ones. But I was commenting that how uh, since probably, uh, since like Grant Morrison left, or since actually during the Grant Morrison age of X-Men, um, we would just get like teams. It's like, here's eight new characters. Care about them. And it's like, well, okay, well, let's see if I can, you know, you go through them and you look at the list, you look at the page, the splash page with all the characters on it, and you try to figure out, okay, how am I going to know who these characters are? And it's like, okay, well, that one has an electrical power just like 15 other mutants. That one can fly just like 30 other mutants. So so the, the power sets are just so redundant and unspecial to where when you see something, even a power as more or less worthless as making flowers bloom there's a novelty to it and it's just like a it really makes you I, I don't know it makes you more familiar with the character it makes you I mean we're not going to forget about Beth Neon where we might forget about like the third person named Cypher spelled differently who was part of young X-Men for 15 minutes 
You know, I, I just think that exactly. this is a I, I, I just love the way that they do this, where it can be a power that isn't um, isn't usable. It isn't, uh, and it's not even like a Jaylene power where, you know, we do see how powerful Jaylene's adaptation skill is and how how they can use it for their benefit, where I can't think of a single way where, I mean, unless the Horde has allergies and <laughs> Beth Neon blooms just the right flowers to trigger their allergies, I can't see any kind of un, um, you know, just un, uh, really wonky and, uh, What's that uh, Rube Goldbergian way of making her <laughs> making her power set valuable? But uh, yeah. but I do love the fact that they that they have you know have entered into these like weird and diverse and unspectacular powers. So, but uh, they but, really you know. make it work. Like the entire team, like they balance their powers sure. out. So mm-hmm. alone, singularly, like you take Radian, like for example. I mean, his powers are basically a giant flashlight. He'll blind you with blind his light. You. Yep. <laughs> but when it when it's in context with like he flashes people, blinds them, and then Robert snowballs them with a fist. You know what I mean? Sure. It really, yeah. It, it like it's they're the perfect match together. So absolutely, absolutely, they're very complementary. Yes. But uh, back to the issue here. We uh, we arrive back in space, and our Morituris arrive outside the tremendous. Hordean satellite, and it is really massive. I mean, yes. it's uh, it's it's hard to even put into words just how big this ship is, or this satellite is. Now they note, as we note, uh, this seems a little too easy, right? Uh, this is uh, <laughs> there were no checkpoints, no scan points, nothing. There's uh, just just a straight shot in, and uh, I think that's we what we in the biz refer to as famous last words, right? You know, stuff is about to hit the fan, brother. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Hordian captain then bursts right onto the scene, just as if on cue. Will the douchey uh, instinctively freaks out. <laughs> and uh, since his powers are, you know, he can't really focus his powers, he just projects his fear onto his teammates. So they're all freaking out now because of his projection. Um, the team eventually shakes it off and they hop into action. As you mentioned, Louis Blind. Lane melts his weapon, then Robert just with a rollicking right fist. Yeah, yeah man, R- Robert really, really wails away at this guy, like with just a slug. And you see the you see the alien fall down, and of course he's on the ground, and he's got like like the classic cartoon stars over his head. It's like a real <laughs> a real sucker punch. I really like it. And uh, it's weird that uh, the, this uh, this sack chin has a uh, like a spidery looking critter on his on his head. It's very odd. Yeah, what um, is that? I don't know. It looks like uh, I've never seen the Alien movies, but it looks like one of them, doesn't it? Sort of. Like, yeah, it looks like one of the things that clings to their face. Uh, it does. A hug, face, face hugger. Yeah. Face hugger. Yeah. There they are. Uh, now Harold's father sees all this and he decides to make a smart-ass remark about heroism. Robert, <laughs> thankfully, shrugs it off. Um, now I Harold. Probably... Har- Harold's father. I want to talk about Harold's <laughs> father's wardrobe here. So he's. <laughs> He's wearing like a black Hawaiian shirt with very snug, like bright red neon shorts. He has looks like white socks that are pulled halfway up the calf, you know, traditional like Florida (laughs) tourist. You know what I mean? Like he's really, 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 really like decked out for tourism here. And he just looks like a complete douchebag. Now, meanwhile, if you're looking at this panel. Yeah, like Robert has grown so immensely compared to the oh, team. He is like, 
he is almost power. like two humans worth of, of size right now. And he is savage. He All he wants to do is literally get to Horde and kill him. Man, I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like, uh, what was the uh, the drawing, the, how to draw comics the Marvel way? The the John Romita, it was like, oh, yeah. what, seven heads? That's how tall someone needs to be, seven heads? Yeah, exactly. I think, so- I, I think Robert's like 14, 15 heads now. He's, <laughs> he's just very, very big. And he's got that stupid... M tattoo on his face. <laughs> that means you're a badass, folks. You tattoo a giant M in your face, no one's, no one's fucking gonna with mess you. with you. No. <laughs> now, speaking of which, though, we we do have we do have here uh, Justin Emerson making fun of the heroism, and and Robert's just like, okay, whatever, which is good for Justin because I I wouldn't be making comments about exactly. Robert. I certainly would not be stepping to him. Now, <laughs> as the dust finally settles. Aileen runs over to Jaylene to give her a hug. At which point, uh, it looks like Jaylene throws up some gang signs. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> what she's actually doing is using her analysis powers. And uh, she has just sussed something out about Aileen that has uh, really freaked her out. But she now, really she really gets away from her right away. It's almost she like does. she's like, oh, my God, like, I just realized something. I got to I got to get back get to uh, anal- analyzing yeah. stuff here. Yeah, now she breaks away from the hug and she heads off to that console, the the control console, to do some more analyzing. Now, having learned more about Horde tech, she is able to land the ship on board the satellite. So she's able to, you know, drop the landing gear and get in there and everything's cool. Now, inside the ship, the first thing our team is treated to is a closed door. (laughs) Any guesses? If you've been following along with Murray Terry Mondays, uh, anytime there's a closed door, there will always be the horde on the other side, <laughs> and uh, this uh, this instance is no different. Louis, our main man, blinds them, and then the team jams past them. They head all the way to the trophy room, with Louis nailing horde grunts with his lampshade rays as they proceed. Now, this is a, this is like a really no nonsense strike force here they're not suffering fools here at all uh definitely not where it seemed like they would second guess a lot of their moves before this one it's just like you know shoot first ask questions later we'll just get through this and we'll deal with the uh the consequences if they show up later um will the douchey decides to help out by projecting feelings of disgust into any nearby horde which, uh, it's, it's funny. It's funny because he must have used it on me because every time I, was, I see him, I'm disgusted as well. <laughs> I was gonna say that sounds just about right for Will Deducci here, Deducci. Because <laughs> uh, now I'm sure, yeah, anybody is just sick here. It, it is worth noting that uh, during these few pages, he looks a whole lot like Charles Bronson. Oh, Charles Bronson, man. I don't, I don't know about you, but I grew up in like the VHS era. Did you? Sure. Same as mm-hmm. okay. And part of the VHS era was Charles Bronson. And, I mean, this guy was Death Wish 1, Death Wish 2. Yeah. So I was used to action films. You know, I I dug my Stallone movies and my Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, you know, watching Terminator and Raw Deal and Cobra and all that. I I love that stuff. I live for Mm. it. But there was always something that was 
unsettling about a Charles Bronson movie. <laughs> it was like it was basically like action porn and had this grit to it and like people died in very heinous ways and uh you know every single movie like his daughter would be sadistically raped or his you know his <laughs> wife chopped into cubes or just something just ridiculous. And there was one I, re- I remember, and it was called 12 to Midnight, and it starred okay. Charles Bronson. And he was tracking this serial killer. Now, you know, in sometimes like the hero in these action movies, like they would they would get these big elaborate revenges, you know, where they would track down the villain and, you know, finally get their comeuppance and all that stuff. But Bronson was just brutal. So right at the end, um, you know, he finally catches this serial killer guy, and he's completely naked out in the street, and he's basically mocking the fact that Bronson can't kill him, and he's gonna says that he was gonna kill, you know, keep on killing again, right? So mm-hmm. guess how the movie ends? Hmm. Charles Bronson picks up his gun, and he goes, "Oh no, you won't." That's it. <laughs> Just like that. How do you like them apples? <laughs> and that's how he finishes off the guy from Twelve to Midnight. There you go. <laughs> crazy you know now, i, I go okay good uh so there's a scene here when they when they go to the uh behind the doors they actually go to the there's a scene where there's this giant collection of famous sci-fi stuff and i don't know if yes. you've seen this panel now mm-hmm. in this panel they have like they have like a dalek from like uh doctor who, who. Mm-hmm. they have uh you know the let me see what do we have here war of the worlds they got the main ship they got the the giant robot sentinel from i guess the day the earth went so yeah stood still they have like there's all kinds of different things in there so whoever you know i think brent anderson and i'd like to ask him one day about this uh you know he obviously this guy has a real eye for sci-fi because i mean you know he's he's really tossing a lot of stuff in the background here which is kind of cool Sure, sure. No, it's it's. I I love these little Easter eggs. They're like those pages that you just love to pour over because it feels like you see you notice something new like almost every time you look at them. It's uh, I I always go back to uh the Rick Jones's uh trophy room in yes. Hulk Future Imperfect because it's just like so much cool stuff in there and it's you could spend so much time looking at it and and especially you know in in current year where. You know, you could read a you could read a you know twenty page comic in about three and a half minutes. Hey, uh, oh, you're not joking. <laughs> you are not joking. And and you could read like a six six issue arc and it's only half of an Avengers conversation. So it's like uh, th- th- this sort of thing is really cool, where it's something that actually stops you in your tracks and you need to like pour over it. But uh, yeah, we we are in the trophy room and uh, Aileen uses her melty powers to grant the team access. Robert, he is still in command of this team, and he starts handing out orders. Ruth, Pilar, and Louie will accompany him and keep the Horde occupied while Jaylene does her thing. Yeah, and you know what? We're finally seeing Robert fully assume leadership. So the growth of Robert as a character is, is an interesting... Uh, it is. If you, if, you, if you followed it from issue one, you saw Robert as this young, you know, young, naive Fresh-faced, kid. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, he depended on others for leadership and all that stuff. He was a follower. Oh, and, yeah. And has has he literally grown figuratively, you know, <laughs> in real life and, and mentally? I mean, he's become the leader. He is the guy who drives this team forward. You know what I mean? Sure. And uh, just the journey that you see with this is, is just one of the, the very, very high marks of this series, man. Just a Robert character. He is a complete and utter badass. I mean, I, I just love it. It's oh, amazing. 
he, he's definitely he's definitely one of the undisputed top dogs of this team on Moratori, man. Love uh, it. Yeah, because I'm remembering like I think it was a second issue that started with uh, like Harold like dictating his memoirs into his uh, his v VCOM or whatever, and like Robert was kind of just like. He was kind of like uh, like a sidekick, and he's yes. like, okay, so what do we do now? What do we do next? How, what are we gonna do here? And uh, and, and that, that is the the worm on that has definitely turned here. Robert is just uh, kicking ass and taking names. But uh, now we have a uh, Will Degushi here. Uh, Robert tells him, "You will guard the Emersons and Jaylene because Emersons are still with them, of course." Aileen, whose name didn't come up, she volunteers to help guard Jaylene too. But Jaylene pleads with her to go, which confuses me a little bit. Mm. And we'll get we'll get into that in just a minute. Aileen's confused, and Jaylene gets all, how could you? And, uh, well, how could Aileen what, you might be asking? And uh, to answer that question, we go back to that hug from a few pages before. Uh, when they hugged and Jaylene's analytical powers kicked in, she was able to deduce that Aileen is pregnant. Papa, don't preach. I'm in trouble, deep. Papa. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, Wait, where's anyway. Danny Aiello when we need him? <laughs> oh boy, the whole you know the children at a children at a wedlock. I mean, that was high crime in the 1980s, brother. I guarantee you. Yeah, I mean, the team. Uh, you know, they they she must have gotten around on those uh, late night vid calls. I don't know who he's sure. uh, you know who, who's responsible for this, but uh, good old Jaylene is there to Bible thumper right on cue. I guarantee you. <laughs> I completely. But go ahead. Well, I was gonna say what's interesting about this is if Aileen is with child, why would Jaylene want Aileen to go with the other guys to help fight the horde? <laughs> right. Maybe maybe she's doing the Lord's work for her. <laughs> It's like she'd be safer in that room guarding, but she's like, no, no, you need to go fight. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I completely forgot about this reveal. You know, uh, I just thought it was leading somewhere else. I didn't know mm-hmm. what the reveal was going to be, and I completely forgot about it. I remember it happened back in the day, but it was yeah. just it just left my memory banks. I just like how right away it's pointed out that it's not Harold's. <laughs> I think his I think his father just you know wants Harold to be a stud, but uh, the boy was interested more in his comic book than he was the latest. Stand of the Black Watch, yeah. yeah. I always thought that Harold was going to end up with with Beth Neon. I don't know what it was, but I always thought there was just sort of a like a combative relationship between the two. And you know Harold bashed the crap out of her in one of the one of the issues. <laughs> I just thought, out, yeah. yeah, I just thought that that spoke love. You know what I mean? You know, you choke me, I'll love you. You know that type of thing. <laughs> But, I, but I, I, I'm looking here. You, you put a note on the script here, and I, and I agree with you 100. percent I don't remember there being a romantic interlude with no, Aileen no. and Harold, and uh, I, I don't I don't know why they would instinctively think that this is Harold's kid. It's very strange. It is, and the only time you've really seen them together, like like alone behind the scenes, like she would always come to get Harold for like a group meeting or just check in on him. And he was always like in his bed, you know, mysteriously under the covers with his book, the, you know, the last stand (laughs) of the black watch comic guy doing God knows what with it. I don't know, but uh, it was just just interesting. Because she, uh, she went to get him the very first issue uh, when they brought him in to show him like the film reel on the black watch. Yes. I I believe. Yeah, that's correct. Now we have uh, we have Aileen. She's standing there dumbfounded. She does not know how to react. 
And uh, Harold's father goes into one of his another one of his legendary rants. And uh, as he does so, his rat tail is flowing like a mofo. This is uh, he's, he's, he hears his exact words. That does it. Hillary, we're going and we're taking this ship back to Earth. You see, leave these kamikazes to their work. And she says, <laughs> Justin, you wouldn't. Why not? Their only intent is killing and dying. See? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So they're going to they're going to they're going to leave on the ship and leave the Murray Terry here to die. So uh, that's a heck of a guy. We jump back to Earth briefly for uh, Kimmo and Beth, where they share what might just be their last words to one another. They assure each other that they did all that they did for the right reasons and uh, that they actually cared about the children that they wittingly sentenced to death. And uh you know, I, I want to make it clear here that it, this is a much more touching scene than we're making it sound like, but it's so, it's actually so, a very touching scene. So it is, it is, man, and that's one of the uh, one of the things about this book is the emotional resonance you feel with the characters. Sure. We've only known these people for twelve issues. Yeah, and you're instantly connected. Like the 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 writer and the artist, like Anderson, has done such a great job of projecting these guys. Like sure. just just during the reveal of you know, uh, Jaylene's pregnancy or Aileen's pregnancy, I should say. Uh, Brent Anderson has this panel where she's just crying and she's, you know, everybody's in chaos and, you know, Harold's father's losing it. And she just has tears in her eyes and it's such a beautiful picture. And she just, she's just trying to tell everybody to stop it. And it's the same thing with, uh, with Beth and Dr. Tolima. I mean, just the look on Beth's face of just, you know, just sheer exhaustion and she's sweating yep. and she's trying to get out her last words. I mean, it's just so well put together. It's so well written. I mean, this whole thing, man, it just screams Netflix series. I mean, I could mm-hmm. see this on the, you know, like a 12, you know, a 12 episode run for season one or whatever. Like we do the podcast or whatever <laughs> on Netflix or Amazon Prime or something, man. This is built for television. I'm telling you right now, money in the bank. Yeah, it's it's really really good stuff, and uh, you know, in case in case the uh, the pregnancy, if if this is the first episode you're listening to, and you don't know <laughs> why it's why it's not a good thing for uh, for Aileen to be pregnant, uh, the Moritori are all sentenced to die within one year after they take the process. When we met Aileen, she had already taken the process like four months earlier, right? Yeah. It was like four or five months earlier, so she has less than a half year left to live. And she is newly pregnant, so uh, she huh. is. That 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 bambino ain't gonna make it. That's sure how it seems, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> now uh, we uh, let's see here. We uh, we head back to the satellite, and uh, Mrs. Emerson tells her ham-handed hubby to shut his full mouth. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> believe it or not, that's all it took. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly suddenly homeboy's cool with everything and he's become like this is nice all-around suburban dad <laughs> he's like okay yeah. you got it mother <laughs> let's 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 cheer these these young children on here let's let's be uh let's be their support staff so uh oh my very God. strange this is not you know what these are not even the same characters we saw in the issue one i mean when we first met yeah. Harold's parents, they seem like really straight laced, you know, they wanted the best for their son, 
you know, they seem like a, you know, upper crust educated family who wanted, you know, wanted their, you know, their son to achieve. And you know, Harold was always the one that seemed like the douchebag. But yes. man, were we wrong here? They are like <laughs> douchebaggy <laughs> DefCon Five here, brother. <laughs> it just seems like such a character shift. It seems like it's almost seems like it's inspired by something the writers know. Perhaps I don't know. Maybe they're just like projecting a little bit on somebody else. I don't know. It's it's always funny when like you'll see a character depicted in a certain way or or being drawn with like certain facial features, certain very specific face, facial features, and you always wonder. It's like, huh? I wonder. It's like I wonder. I wonder if this is one of George Perez's friends <laughs> or enemies that we're seeing here. It's I, I love that kind of stuff. It's very very interesting. But this this uh these Emersons they they. Your point is very well taken here. These seem very, very different from the from the vignette we saw back in the first issue where where we had, you know, Justin Emerson saying, you know, my son's a dead man. You know, my son has been sentenced to die when he got accepted for the process. So very strange stuff. But uh, we're still in that trophy room and Jaylene's got a job to do. So she gets to analyzing. We hop to elsewhere on the satellite where the rest of the Murray are beating up some hordesmen when suddenly... Big Robert begins to glow. Ah, damn. Yes, yes. He has become self-actualized, and he's about to become moratorized. Uh, He knows his time is likely very, very short, and he asks Louis to get the rest of the team as far away from him as possible. He does not know what kind of explosion he is about to cause if he really is about to go boom. Louis obliges, but before he leaves, he reassures Robert that Jaylene really loves him, which man, pretty I, neat. I I just love the the connection. It's like a big brother little sister type connection, and yeah, you know they they lean on each other. Like Robert is you know the muscle who protects Jaylene. Jaylene yep. is the voice of reason and you know a sense of hope for Robert. You know what I mean? Sure. It's they don't really have like a physical connection, but man, you can tell there's there's a deep relationship between the two of them and they depend on each other to get through. And mm-hmm. this is, uh, you know, this is the one thing we can't help but cheer for these two as a couple. And I really, really dig it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, from this point on, we get like you mentioned that this would be right up the alley for for a in a live action sort of a situation. These last few pages are almost are. are Actually, not even almost. They're totally cinematic. Absolutely, this the way that they're—it's awesome. This is like a season finale of a of a uh, of a TV show right here. This yeah. is this is episode twelve on season one right here. Yeah, absolutely. Now we have a—you know—we're just gonna—we're just gonna name the big big bits here that happened during this uh, this cinematic wave of a scene here. Uh, throughout it, Robert continues to fill with glowing energy. Jaylene, back in the trophy room, continues to analyze the trophies. Aileen c- continues to cry. Uh, <laughs> Louis, <laughs> Louis checks in, and Jaylene hands him a doohickey to take back with them on the ship. We jump back to Earth for a minute. Kimo, Kimo uh, Tulima is holding Beth Neon's hand in his, and uh, they tell each other that they, they care. They're reassuring each other that they're what they did you know, this is just a continuation of their last conversation, that they did what they did to these innocent children for the right reasons. They're they're if especially if Beth, if these are Beth's last words and last breaths, she really needs to be at peace with what she did on Earth. And uh, this is a uh, this is a lot of that. 
We uh, head back to the satellite where Louis is herding the sheep, the team, bleh, the team into the escape ship, and he engages the warp. But huh, it's like we have a Home Alone situation here. Did he miss someone on the head count? <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't look like Jaylene is with them. And then, boom. Man, what an end scene this is. So just to describe the last page of this book, mm. it is one of the best, most laid out. It's almost like uh, Envision. Let me see. Let me see. Well, what, how, how would you describe this? Almost like a, like a bullseye, almost like a dartboard where it's circular and every circle contains... Uh, you know, one of it's our like, characters' faith. It is. Yeah, it's amazing. like a web, sorta. It's it's really it's hard to explain, but it's very very well done. And right in the epicenter is Beth Neon, and everything flows out throughout the uh, the entire thing. Like you see, you see the uh, the plants. You get to see the characters with their eyes wide open. You get to see uh, Robert and Jaylene. You know what I mean? Analyzing. It is just such a amazing piece of artwork i would love to own this panel i would, oh, I would sure. love to own this piece of original artwork it is absolutely fantastic so so brent anderson if you want to give me a christmas gift i will take this <laughs> gladly <laughs> that's, that's awesome i might just ask him one day i might just go and say hey brent my name's chris bailey i know you don't care who i am but i, I want that panel thanks bro <laughs> strike force moratorium number 12 i think it's page 22 yeah, yeah you <laughs> got that, that anywhere kicking around <laughs> But wow, I mean, uh, we we were just talking about the uh, the the Jaylene and Robert relationship, and uh, from the looks of this, we might have just lost both of them. Man, Robert's powers, his whole power is that that he's been building, like his energy's been building inside. He's getting bigger, his his frame is getting more massive as time goes on, and he can literally hold his power in and just basically charge himself till he friggin' explodes. And boy, does he let it all out on these horde raiders, man. Mm, Yeah. So, uh, where do we even go from here? I mean, this is, uh, I mean, it's so crazy because I think when we started the, we were kicking around this, the idea for the show last summer. And, uh, and I remember we were, we were remembering how we received this story the first time through. And we figured it's like, I think we got six good episodes, you know, it's because uh, oh, after man. after the sixth issue, it goes to crap and, and the series will go to crap. <laughs> oh, indeed it will. When, when Mr. Mark Bagley joins the ranks, boy, when 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 Peter Gillis leaves, it's it's going to be a uh, big dramatic dip in uh, in quality. But uh, it's uh, we thought to ourselves like, ah, we got, you know, six good episodes in us where we'll have good and just intriguing story and stuff that we're going to actually look forward to sharing and reading. And, uh, I mean, here we are, 12 issues in, and it's still... We only had that one-week issue with the cats. You know, that 11 out of 12 ain't bad for a comic book. I mean, <laughs> that's, nope. that's almost unheard of for a nope. comic Brent, book. Brent Anderson needed his vacation. That was his week. <laughs> yes, because that was a Wills Protasio issue. That's Ugh. right. <laughs> yeah. That not, not great. No, but, sir. Uh, now, this is, uh, as if we haven't said it enough, this is just a series uh, we would recommend anybody experience. Uh, this is just so great. Um, and it's it's not like anything you've ever read before, I, 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 you know, in, in comic book form, I would say. It's just it's just amazing stuff. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but, uh, 
you know, rather than, you know, guess what's coming next, even though, you know, we, we know what's coming next. We just don't want to let on uh, in case you guys are following <laughs> along with us and you're reading along with us. We don't want to ruin anything. So we will put a pin in the overall narrative and uh, we'll start talking about some other stuff we learned in this very issue of Strike Force Murray We go to our bullpen bulletins and uh, we learn something pretty big. Jim Shooter is out as oh editor-in-chief. Oh, God. It, when, when we look back at the classic mistakes in human history, brother, <laughs> this is one of them right here. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? And, like, just in today's, like, literally, I don't even know how to describe it, like, snowflake work environment that I would call 2020. Would, it, would a gym shooter even survive in this day and age? No I mean. Way. You can't talk in any other tone than a monotone or someone gets offended. I mean, pitcher shooter, you know, with him, (laughs) fire fire him first, investigate later, (laughs) you know, slap a lady on the ass for bringing a coffee to the boss type of attitude. I mean, (laughs) there you go, sugar. Thanks for the coffee. (laughs) You know, (laughs) shooter's the original me too guy, man, if you ask me. And if he stayed in power, I think Marvel... (laughs) I think he would, uh, people would be thanking Marvel for his dismissal. But anyway, I digress. I love Jim Shooter and everything about him. Oh, absolutely. He's a, he's one of a kind. Um, and uh, this, you know, it's funny because when I think back to my childhood as a comic reader, uh, it, it, it has Jim Shooter in charge of Marvel. And I was only, what was this, 1987? I was seven years old at this point. Uh, I was not reading comics until like maybe two or three years after this. And so Jim Shooter was not a part of my childhood at all, but I I relate so much of, of Marvel from my childhood with Jim Shooter and uh, just the, just the, his understanding that, you know, the comic characters and the comic properties, those are immortal, you know, those are going to be here long after we're all gone. God willing, (laughs) you know, that they're, they're not tanked by then where, you know, he will tell. And it's funny because I've been, I've been just devouring ancient, you know, um, amazing heroes, magazines and comics buyers guides and, uh, and uh, comics journals from the, you know, late seventies, early eighties. So good, uh, man. So good. Oh, absolutely. They're just a treasure trove. And uh, so much of that, is so much of the print is great because not all of it has made it to the internet. So like anytime you open one of those old magazines, you're actually going to make a discovery that you haven't seen shared on, on Twitter or Instagram 600 times a week. You know, it's, it's all, <laughs> you're going to have something new uh, every time. And so much of these, uh, of these creators back in the uh, late seventies, early eighties were just so anti shooter. And it's funny when you consider everything the shooter did for the industry, for Marvel itself, and you have these guys who were just so pissed off, who left the company because he didn't want them to be writer editors, you know? Or can, or he can did- you can can you imagine why they were pissed off at Jim Shooter? They were pissed off at Jim Shooter because he held, yep. yes. He said, now, now this, this, I mean, this guy would never make it in 2020. I mean, no. he he would fire Gary Frank 500 times, <laughs> hire him and fire him again for doomsday clock. Yes. I mean, those, those poor bastards would not know what hit him if Jim Shooter walked in and said, okay, Jim, you're in charge of finishing doomsday clock. Well, that Imagine. would, holy crap. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But boy, do we need a Jim Shooter in 2020, man. 
we we would we need two or three for sure. Oh man. Uh-huh. I mean, we might have just traded up <laughs> kicking the Dio to the curb, but uh, <laughs> Uh, if they, if they would say, hey, Jim Shooter's the new guy, I'd, I'd be all over that. Um, just uh, the, just the understanding that these characters are what are selling the books, uh, and that they'll be the ones that continue selling the books years later, or just selling the symbol, selling the property, selling the movie, selling the TV show, selling the cartoon, selling the action figure, the lunchbox, all that stuff. These are the characters. Nobody's buying a Brian Bendis lunchbox. You no, know? sir. It, you're exactly right, Chris. And the the whole thing, the nostalgia when people back into the 80s and all that stuff, it's all the Shooterverse stuff, man. Absolutely. That's the stuff that people love. That's the people that they that's on their lunchboxes. This is mm-hmm. what they remember. Secret Wars, all this stuff. It's Shooter, man. It's all Shooter. It is. And uh, if we go into our uh, into our bulletin uh, news here, it says uh, the old order changeth. After guiding Marvel Comics to dazzling new creative heights for the past nine and a half years, Jim Shooter has stepped down from his position as editor-in-chief. I think he was dragged out by like 75 guys in like he's just (laughs) punching his way out and they stuffed him into a white van. I think that's what happened. And he was going all John Wick on him. It was 75 guys and four horses pulled him out. (laughs) (laughs) No. The piece continues, uh, unquestionably one of the most talented creative people in the entire comic book industry, Jim was always spearheading and developing new formats, new concepts, and exciting new comic book series. Absolutely. And they do list a few here. We have uh, The Nom, which uh, I've never read much of. So I collected it, I would say, until about midway through the book, and then I had sporadic issues after that, because I think it went direct, didn't it? Uh, I, you know, I couldn't tell you. I would assume so. It looks I, like one of the books that would have. Yeah, I think it did because it just stopped appearing on my newsstand. So uh, up to that point, it started out as a very serious war book. You know what I mean? Very mm-hmm. well researched, like Larry Hama style. Sure. But man, it just got, uh, I don't know, man. Like they just started losing touch and the series became deflated. I, I guess, you know, there's only so long you can talk about the Vietnam War before the inevitable happens. You know what it's I mean? And you, and you reach. Effect. Yeah, oh, mash, oh my God. Like when I, back in the day when I was a kid (laughs) and I had two channels, I had two channels in Canada (laughs) and NTV and CBC were the only channels and mash would come on. It was like you wanted to commit TV suicide, man. It was just, oh, Alan Alda, I can't watch any more of you. (laughs) Oh, so bad. I I remember growing up, Similarly, uh, we had, you know, what would we have? We had channel two, four, seven, nine, eleven, and thirteen growing oh, up. Oh, high and, roller. Uh, we we had many, and we had UHS UHF stations that you might be able to see, like maybe like one line on the in the squiggles you might be able to make out. <laughs> but uh, I remember when I was a kid, I was like, man, I wish I loved Mesh because it's on all the damn time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I wish I liked Mesh. Gunsmoke and Bonanza, because then I would never be bored. <laughs> those are always on at any time. Those shows are, will be on, and it's a. Uh, and, and yeah, I I didn't get into Mash until probably I don't know, like my mid twenties. No, no, early twenties probably. I started watching Mash because it was just on the TV, and I, I watched it. And uh, I remember really digging like the first few uh, seasons yep. until uh, until Mike because- Farrell comes on. Because it was always like a lighthearted comedy somewhat, 
But yeah, then it would without, have these episodes where it would just be dreadfully, like, serious preachy, and, like, yeah. ugh. And, and the nice. theme song. The theme song. Nee, 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 nee. Oh, my God. It just pierces my ears. Nee, 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 nee. Oh, we, we almost used that song for this show. Holy snap. <laughs> well, I in the list. <laughs> I, I would have, I would you know what? I tell you what, on the outro to this one, let's do the mash theme. Let's do it, just for the listeners, just to give them a taste of what could have been. <laughs> Along with the nom, uh, Jim Shooter also spearheaded X Factor. Yeah. Uh, the return of the original team, you know, I was yeah. I was pretty well down for that. But, you know, I, I missed issue one because mm. my good friend Kaiman, his mom suddenly decided, oh, my son needs to get into comics. So I will just buy all the comics, all the oh, comics, boy. little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Another one that Jim spearheaded was a uh, powerback. Mm, loved it. Nothing wrong with that. You know, I somehow own every single issue. I don't know how I came into ownership <laughs> of every single issue of powerback, but uh, I've got them. Uh, also the punisher oh i love that mike zek miniseries and then they did that suck bag ongoing man oh and and then they then they exploded into like five or six suck bags ongoing (laughs) at the the same time here starring one character Uh, another one he spearheaded was the new mutants Ooh, yes sir who now who who was uh well New Mutants, I guess, was uh, in two waves. I think there's New Mutants, and then there's yeah. Rob Leefield, man. Yeah, when it when it got exciting. Yes. With, a, with an X and a dash, yeah. Yep. Uh, I remember uh, New Mutants was just a little bit before my time. Uh, I came in, you know, post. I, what, I, what would you even call it? Uh, I don't even know what they they call the uh, the wave, the 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 post Claremont wave. You know, I call it something, but I don't know if there's actually a name for it. Um, but I missed out on New Mutants. So anytime I would like look in a back issue bin for an issue of New Mutants, they were all like ten dollars back then because it was the early '90s and it was like, oh yeah, I can't do that. Uh, actually, X Factor was the only book from the uh, the X Men family that I was able to collect back issues of because no one cared about it. And uh, <laughs> it wasn't X Force, it wasn't the New Mutants. Cable wasn't going to show up, so nobody gave a rat's ass. And I remember buying uh, the first appearance of Apocalypse for like three dollars in, in an actual bin, not like a not like a throwaway bin like I look in now. It was just an actual back issue bin. Nobody cared about it, which uh, wow. was pretty interesting back in the day because uh, I think that one's I don't think it's worth a whole lot, but I think it's worth more than an average issue at this point. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, no, I was, listen, I was all about the New Mutants uh, halfway. Just uh, you know, when I got into it, I got into hmm. New Mutants like literally about. 15 issues before Liefeld took over. Okay. So, so I got to see you like deal with that Blevin stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Which was which was eh, it was all yeah. right. But then when Liefeld jumped in, I mean, it was just like a sonic boom. I mean, this this title Good took time. off. It started selling. The you know the artwork just was just it, it blew me away at the time. It was like my God, this is something completely different than what yeah. we're used to. It was so. Well, I loved it at the time, and I still have an appreciation sure. for it today, but, I mean, you know, wow. And they list others uh, here under Jim Shooter contribution, so I don't know if we can assume that by others they're they're finally mentioning the, the new universe. 
Oh, man, I love the new universe. It, this thing rocked at the start, man. But, boy, did this thing die hard. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, ju- I had a... I just had a whole bunch, and this is another podcast for itself. But I mean, some of the, I collected pretty well everything, and uh, okay. I spoke. Uh, I spoke of Mister Mister Kyman, whose mom got him into uh, you know all the comics at once. Yeah. And it just so happened it happened right at the time that New Universe started. So I okay. missed Star Brand number one. I missed it, Chris. Oh wow! In- but instead, instead I ended up with uh, Merc number one, and then oh, I Mark also Hazard. Got- yeah. Yes. Then I got Kickers Inc. Mm-hmm. Yes, the football <laughs> team by Grunwald and the boys, and man, those were uh, I loved them at the time. So as a kid, I, I just I dove into this, loved it. But I mean, do you think that this would even work today? Do you think if you brought back all these characters, like as exactly as they were, wrapped in a 1980s bubble, do you think that this would fly this day and age with the right creative teams? What do you think? Um, yeah, I remember Warren Ellis tried bringing it back. Probably. No, but he he tried to he tried to take it and put it in the real world and put like a realistic spin on it. I'm oh, talking like about like yeah, he just tried to give it like a real world feel to it, new hmm. universal and all this stuff. And it just it just didn't work. As just like a you know a comic that you'd buy in a spinner rack at like a pharmacy or something. Man, these things were great disposable. You know it was it, and plus they were all new heroes. You felt like you're sure. on the ground level of something that was happening, but. I don't know, man. That it, they wanted Shooter gone, and the first thing they did was pull the plug on his big concept because he wanted to be his own version of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. You know what I mean? Sure. He wanted to develop all these new properties, and I think he had the right idea. It's just that they saw it, they wanted him gone, they pulled the plug on his big concept, and that was mm-hmm. it. He was torpedoed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just wonder what would have happened if Shooter hadn't left here. How what the new universe would have matured into? Like, would it have matured into anything, or would it have been? Because what didn't it like wrap up in something called like the Pit or something? Like, uh, where they everything kind of wrapped. The, they had the Pit, and then they followed it up with the War. Okay. Yeah. And okay, it, yeah. it 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 somewhat wrapped it up, but it was it was it was a big rush job, man. It was like a rush yeah. job. It was yeah. Because I know a lot of the heroes from that are are like Avengers now. Yeah. Um, like oh, I know Starbrand oh. is in there, and uh, oh boy, what's the other one? Night, Night Mask. Mask. Yeah. Yeah, so I, Lord only knows. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. Now, uh, they continue saying Marvel produced its very first graphic novels, limited series, and direct-only con- comics under his, Jim Shooter's, superb editorial leadership. His accomplishments are too numerous to list here. Suffice it to say that he will be missed. And uh, to editorialize and uh, to r- repeat ourselves again, uh, he is still missed, especially today. <laughs> I agree. And you know what? Sometimes, uh, you know what? I'm the self-proclaimed mean girl of this podcast. And uh, sometimes <laughs> sometimes I say some things that are off the grid. You know, I've called Steve Ditko, said that he, you know, he smelled like, you know, smell, <laughs> smelled like ratchet ass for a while. And <laughs> he smelled like onions. You know what I mean? And But uh, but I also commented on Shooter's acne. Now, I, I would I would like to uh, I would like to uh, say to our good listener, Mr. Jody Yearden, that uh, I would like to issue an apology to Mr. Jim Shooter for mocking his acne. I just think that his 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 bad hair just overwhelms his acne at times when you when you see his uh, his greaser look. So uh, <laughs> so uh, there you go, Jody. That's my apology. Sorry, Jimmy. <laughs> Oh boy! Now out with the old and in with the uh, the new here, and the new is two-fisted Tom DeFalco. 
Okay. So he, he could actually, he could work at Hobby Lobby. He's got two fists. He can, <laughs> he can carry a plant around. What what does he do with those two fists? I don't know. Anyway, we move forward. We don't, we Let's don't, go. Fast forward. <laughs> uh, into our profile, where we're going to meet Mark Gruenwald. Now, uh, he was, as of 1987, the editor on Avengers, West Coast Avengers, Solo Avengers, Iron Man, and both editions of the official handbook of these Marvel Universe. His past freelance credits include as a writer in on Spider-Woman, Marvel 2-in-1, Thor, Bizarre Adventures, Hawkeye, and Squadron Supreme. His present freelance credits are writer, Captain America on... Captain America and DP7, which is, uh, we finally actually get a new universe mentioned in this column. Yeah, boy. <laughs> what was DP7? DP7 was, um, let me see, it, it was like their X, one of their X-Men style, Displaced Paranormals, and there were seven okay. of them. So, yeah, it was it was actually a good book. It, it, it basically, both books, when you look at Cyforce and DP7, they both basically merged into the Valiant universe when Shooter got there. He took both concepts, merged them okay. together, and they became Harbinger. Harbinger, so okay. You can see the early seeds from both books, from Cyforce and DP7, and they, they literally become an amalgamation that becomes Harbinger a little bit later. Oh, so. very cool. Okay. Some good stuff. So there's your history. Nice, nice. Now, uh, Mark Gruenwald was born in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Um, he's got some hobbies that he lists here, and uh, his his hobbies include playing with his daughter's toys. Oh, Jesus, report that man. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Okay, know. sorry. <laughs> well, listen, when when you talk about toys, I, I, I'm a huge toy fan, all right? I, I don't know mm-hmm. if you, how you grew up, but, I mean, my toys were everything. Star oh, Wars, yeah. G.I. Joe, GoBots. Mm-hmm. Brave Star Mask, you name it, I loved it all back in the day. So when you mentioned toys, I decided, you know, I was going to check out my favorite source for toys, which was the Wishbook. Oh, the Sears Wishbook. Yep. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to glance and see what kids were playing with in 1987 and 88. So I guess we'll start with the Goyles. Okie dokie. Yeah, what, what, we, what we got here, uh, I think when you think about the mid to late 80s and girls' toys, uh it's 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 basically all about the Cabbage Patch Kids, right? Oh hell yeah! Did you have a Cabbage Patch Kid? I did. I did actually have a Cabbage Patch Kid named Travis Elroy. Um, <laughs> oh nice. Yes, and uh, my mother, you couldn't find these things in stores. Is is the thing? My mother actually met someone in a parking lot to buy this Cabbage Patch Kid, <laughs> and uh, and I mean it's it's the craziest thing in the world. I, I she probably still has it somewhere, but uh. Yeah, these things were were insane to to oh. track down and find and yeah, just they, nuts. They they were a mega huge craze. So this was like eighty seven, eighty eight. Sure. Um, I mean, I mean, my mom worked at Woolworths. That's the date okay. a little bit there. Uh, <laughs> in in Clarenville, Newfoundland, and of course she worked there. And one of the advantages of working there was you get the first claim of the prizes. So. Okay. You know, her manager decided that, no, we can't give them out to staff either because they're so hot. So you had to line up. And, of mm-hmm. course, she did line up for it. And it was chaos. I mean, people were jumping around. They were lined up, banging on doors. And anyway, she she did come out with two. Now, it was only myself and my brother, my brother Brad. And uh, she brought home two Cabbage Patch Kids. Now, my brother was, like, all about the Cabbage Patch Kids. He loved it. And she brought me one. And I really didn't know what the hell to do with it. Mine was Alexander Graham. Was mine. Wow. So there you go. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I don't know that I actually wanted one. I, I think no, I just, I it was just part my, of the wave. I think my mom wanted me to have one. I so think that's I, it. Yeah, I think he's still rest in a box somewhere. And uh, my brother <laughs> had an African American one. I can't remember what his name was, Delroy or I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it was pretty, uh, pretty funny. <laughs> that's crazy stuff, man. I, yeah, th- that's. I I don't know that there'll be another. I mean, it's hard to even like consider such a thing these days with uh so many online retailers and so many different ways to get things and things like Craigslist and eBay. We're not really wanting for anything. You know, exactly. if you want it, you can get it. Where uh, <clears throat> with something like a Cabbage Patch Kid back in the mid 80s, it's like if you're not there when they come out, <laughs> you ain't getting one. I hope you're and, out of luck, uh, son. <laughs> yeah, you are out of luck, Chuck. But uh, continuing with the girls' toys here, uh, there's one that was uh, truly, truly, truly outrageous. Jam. Jam is my name. Loved it. So one of my guilty <laughs> pleasures, one of my guilty pleasures with that Jam and the Hologram show. Man, did I eat that up. And guess what? That was a Marvel production as well. Marvel Comics. Yes, it was. It was a Marvel Comics production, Jam and the Holograms. So, and guess what? I own a Jam doll. I own Jam. Oh, no. And not only do I own Jim, I own the uh, the Jim speaker, and you open it up, and it's got a little chair and a little desk that Jim sits at. So very nice. So yeah, so she sits like lost in the the dark ruins of my storage room, but I do have a Jim doll. Jim, Jim is her name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure my sister was into Jim, but I I seemed you know I don't know if I'm if I'm conflating the uh, you know the dolls here, but. Uh, I know there was like a doll that was like kind of like similar in size as a Barbie doll, but like just a little like too off scale to actually use with the Barbie doll. Yeah, like they had one these massive look, heads. Like they yeah, had. it looked like like they one of them has like acromegaly. <laughs> <and the other laughs> one, like you have like Andre the Giant and a normal doll. But uh, I do remember she stored them all together. So yes. <laughs> yeah, they were they were off scale. You're right. They didn't really gel well with the Barbie at all. They were. Which seems like a missed opportunity. Yeah. Uh, now continuing, we've got popples. Uh, now, are now popples just, the things that you fold into themselves? I think they were. And they're similar to, the, I think kids these days have pillow pets. So my kids have pillow pets, which okay. are basically the same concept. The only, you know what, the only thing that I remember about popples, you know, with the exception of the cartoon, which I claim to have, I think there's a cartoon. So I, I somewhat I, recall. I can it. remember, I can remember a theme song, but I can't remember yes. a cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the one thing that I will say that I do remember was the popples ad on the back of comic books. Do you remember that? I want to say so. Yeah. You know that I can recite the entire article, not even looking at it. Oh, do it. Okay. If Party Popple picked a peck of Popple Pals, who would be the new perky, playful pals Party Popple picked? How about that? <laughs> oh, Lord. Indeed. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at some of the uh, at some of these popples here, where like the popples are like balls, like you you can like squish them into a ball, and yes, uh, they're balls. But like at the bottom of the page here, there's like some that look a little bit more anthropomorphized. You know, they've got like actual long limbs. Yes. And they look like like I looked at it and I thought it was the Get Along Gang for a minute. Like one of them looks like it has antlers, but I don't. I think it might be the foot from the other one behind it. But uh, I know they look. It's like somebody had the concept and were like, ah, there's only so much we could do with this. Let's throw some arms on them. <laughs> and let's give them instruments and and, and ball and uh, literal well, footballs, basketballs, yeah, exactly. soccer balls, weird stuff. But that's uh 
that's the girl stuff. And uh, I, I think we might all be in agreement that boys had a uh, far superior pick of ah, the toy okay. litter. Um, oh, man. Now, uh, 1987 was probably the first time that I saw the movie Ghostbusters. Uh, probably, I think it was Channel 7 Sunday Night Movie. I'm pretty sure I still have the VHS that I taped it on somewhere in the garage. Oh, well done. But uh, I remember uh, I remember watching that. It was a Sunday night. I was only able to watch the first half of it because it was a school night. And I had to watch the second half the next day. And uh, and I think also my mother wanted to make sure that there was nothing, you know, uh, you know, too mature in it for me or too scary in it for me. But, uh, man, I, I ate that stuff up. Oh, uh, me too. I loved it. Peter Venkman is still one of my heroes. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I, I remember looking in the uh, the TV guide and uh, seeing that there was a Ghostbusters cartoon. And then it came on and I'm like, what the hell's going on with this monkey? Oh, <laughs> you, you watched the filmation one. Yes. So for, yes. Uh, for, for, for kids who don't know what we're talking about, there's actually two Ghostbusters cartoons. Because they were the original one. Ghostbusters, right? Yes, so the Filmation created a kids' cartoon called Ghostbusters in the 70s, and yeah. it contained a monkey, uh, you know, a team Two of Ghostbusters, a or something? Yeah. yeah, and a little car like an Archie jalopy, and they went yeah. around Boston Ghosts. <laughs> now, flash forward to the Ghostbusters movie about the mid-80s, and they wanted to release a cartoon. However, all of a sudden, Filmation owned the rights to the name Ghostbusters, yep. so they, they produced the Ghostbusters cartoon, but they had to call it the, the real, real Ghostbusters. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I died every every time the cartoon would come on and it would go to break and be like the real Ghostbusters would be back in a moment. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it was oh, great. Oh, I love that show. I it's been it's been oh, god decades since I've watched an episode of it. I I don't know how it might have uh, I don't know how it might have aged, but it's uh, really good, Chris. So I watched it? a couple okay. episodes on YouTube over Halloween. So they had like okay. some Hall- they uploaded the Halloween uh, cartoon versions or the Halloween episodes and all that sure. stuff. They are really good and really nice. dark, man. Like really well done. Nice. I I remember getting very excited. Uh, I think IDW does the Ghostbusters comics now, and they did uh, they did a mini series called like Ghostbusters Get Real or something like that. Oh. And it had like the comic book versions because they have you know the the contemporary Ghostbusters comics. Yep. And they had them meeting the animated series versions of themselves. So like gotcha. you'd have like you'd have like the Egon that looks more like like kind of like a manga version of Harold Ramis yeah. next to the Egon with like the blonde loaf of bread on his head, <laughs> you know, from the, from the real Ghostbusters cartoon. And I remember uh, I was very excited for it. I bought it and I, I did not care for it. So. Uh, but I did love the toys. How, how did you how did you feel about them Ghostbuster toys? So the Ghostbuster toys I thought were really good. Now I was I was slowly dipping out of toys at that point because my yeah. brother started to take over, which was great because sure. all the popular toys still rolled into the house and I didn't have to embarrass myself as a 13 year old <laughs> still buying toys. But my my brother did, so he brought all the Ghostbuster toys that he could get oh, his nice. hands on. But so we had the main Ghostbusters except for Winston. We could never find Winston Zedmore. Uh, yeah. We had the we had the Ecto one. We had Slimer. Uh, we had the Ecto two. No, I did not have the helicopter. No, I did not. No, but I had the um, and I can't remember what they were. They were they were like people and characters that transformed. Like they had Granny, Granny Gross. 
Yes, Granny Gross. You pull yep. down on her thing, and her like her jaw her would tongue, drop. Out. Yeah, and there was oh, like a so police good. officer that flopped yep. open, and he was a skeleton. And you had the postal postal worker guy who you mm-hmm. pulled down on his legs, and he became a monster. It was so good, man. Oh, never yeah. had the firehouse, man. Did you have the firehouse? No, I was just about to ask you if you had the firehouse. I never had the firehouse. And funny you mentioned Winston because I had like the three. You know, I had Peter, Ray, and and Egon, and uh, in the regular uh, original. Uh, figures and then the only Winston I was able to find was the fright feature Winston. Oh, uh, now wah, yeah, wah. sucks. If if you if you are uh, you know someone our age who has played with toys and especially like licensed toys where like you only have a handful of heroes, so you need to keep re-releasing them with different outfits. Uh, oh, these fright feature ones. Um, God, you you had Winston and you'd squeeze his legs together and like. And like his hair would come off his head and his eyes would bug out and his tongue would come out like like it looked like he was scared, basically. Yes, absolutely. But it, but it was it wasn't the classic Ghostbusters costume either. So like he looked very, very gaudy next to the other heroes here. <laughs> he looked he wasn't wearing the regular jumpsuit. He was just uh, in like something altogether different. But uh, I did eventually get the 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 original Winston. But uh for a long time, I had to play with the Fright Feature version, which uh, uh, they sucked. <laughs> yeah. Now, which but, uh, which Stay Puff did you have? Did you have the the figure one or the stuffed Stay Puff? Oh no no no! I had the action figure, the Me hard too. plastic okay. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the cool one. That that yeah. that's that other stuffed one was crap. Yeah, it was tall enough, but it yeah. was crap. <laughs> <laughs> Total. <laughs> Speaking of now, stuff that don't suck, mm. Brave Star. Oh man, did I dig this cartoon? Did you like Brave Star? This I don't have any recollection of. I oh, don't remember so this at all. It was yet another filmation cartoon after Ted. the the death knell of Masters of the Universe. Okay. Brave Star came out, and he was like a Native American uh, cowboy, basically intergalactic cowboy, okay. and uh, he defended. Uh, uh, his world against the evil forces of Tex-Hex, which was basically that version of Skeletor. And he had a robotic um, do- oh, dog, listen to me, robotic <laughs> horse named 3030. And he had okay. all these other characters. It was so well done. But the toys, Chris, these toys were super posable. They were amazing. They, you could you could you could do everything with them. And they had such an array of toys oh, in such a now, short time. Yeah. Oh my God. They were super posable. They were about, they were a little taller than a, uh, they're about the same size as a WWE, WWF action figure that they had at okay. the time. They were really, oh, the big really. LGNs? Yeah. The big LJNs? Wow. Okay. Yeah. They were around that size and man, and, and <laughs> we'll speak about those in a second, yes. but man, <laughs> Uh, I firmly believe that Brave Star was the, that toy line that was way too good for this world, man. We didn't deserve those. They were amazing. Now, oh, speaking so of cool. WWF, oh, I can't wait to talk <laughs> about these. WWF Supers, Wrestling Superstars. Probably, mm-hmm. now, I, I have fondness for Star Wars and G.I. Joe, but my most played with toy I ever had was Wrestling Superstars. Oh, my God. Like, I, I have. I agree, yeah. Except for that last wave where the hard-to-find ones with Ultimate Warrior, Boss Man, and yeah. Warlord and all those, I had pretty well the entire collection. I'm still missing oh, wow. an Iron Sheik and a Jimmy Superfly Snooka, but I have pretty well every other figure in in, a, in an array of uh, of batteredness, by the way. I was going to say, with the paint chipped off and... Uh... 
I'm I'm on my third <laughs> ring, and uh, man, those those are some of my favorites. And I will one day pop those up on Twitter. But man, nice. what a time I had with those! I had my own league. I made my own matches myself, and my uh, my friend played with them all the way secretly through high school, <laughs> almost to the point <laughs> when we graduated. With those rings, we would organize cards and play with them, and it was oh, nice. so much fun. Did you like those? Oh God, yeah. Oh, and it's funny. I never had the ring, so I remember pulling a cushion off the couch and oh, that yeah. would be my ring because these figures were what about like maybe eight inches tall i mean they oh, were yeah. pretty tall they were and, tall and they were heavy man you could kill somebody oh, with striking them with an ljn figure oh yeah you could you could put out a windshield for sure oh <laughs> yeah they are they are wild but uh no I, I i despite the fact that they're not posable um i mean i'm trying to think of uh like, what are you going to do? And and people who collect these figures will know what I'm talking about. What do you do with the Georgie Animal Steel figure? Nothing. He had these. <laughs> he had his arms that were down by the side. He couldn't <laughs> grapple. He couldn't do anything. He, he did what he did. He, he did what he did always in real in life. Just, yeah. he, he just laid there on the <laughs> mat and got pinned. Like, what do you do with, like, a, a, the Randy Savage figure? He just yeah, stands there with his arms. He's, he's flexing. It's like, and uh, Paul Orndorff, what are you going to do with that? It's like... There's only so many well, times you get hit up with an elbow. I, I I always used him as like his finisher was the torture rack because he always had the perfect you know I stick the wrestles up in the rack. Uh, it was pathetic. <laughs> I remember, and it's funny because I'm thinking of like my the the best posed one here because a lot of them came really poorly posed. I think the one that I had the most fun with that I think was like my avatar in my leagues was Special Delivery Jones. <laughs> But guess what? You could do a lot of stuff with him. He was posed properly. He, he could body did. slam. He could punch. Yeah. He could choke slam. He could do it all. Oh, Flying clothesline. Like, yeah, he was like the perfectly, you know, situated uh, LJN figure. And uh, yeah, he was always the one I used no matter what. You know what was funny? So these came out in what, 80, 86, 87 or 85? Um, were they, they were out. After the first Mania. So it could have been late 85, early 86. Okay. So, but one thing about these figures is that they're based on old photos. Okay. Yes. So you had Andre the Giant and he had the, like the big, massive long hair. Pro. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which was from like the early 80s, like late 70s. They had uh, Hercules Hernandez, who was in the full Hercules Hernandez. Oh, his gear. Roman yeah. gear. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like you had all these weird variations of the characters. One of the worst posed ones of all, and I still don't know what you do with them. I just used to use them as a projectile, was Cowboy Bob Orton. Okay. Yeah. He just, he just had the fist up. Like he, and he was so skinny, he couldn't like, do anything. Uh, it's like he's got like his fist kind of balled up. Yeah, he, yes. he couldn't stand. That's for damn sure. No. <laughs> terrible. Did, did did they make a Rick Rude who's doing they're doing the hip swivel? Was there a Rick Rude figure yes, doing the hip swivel? Yes, there was. What do you was, do with that? Nothing, man. You couldn't do anything <laughs> with it. But then then you had figures that didn't amount to a row of beans. I mean, you had a Ted RCD figure. Yes. And he was like he was jet. He looked cool, but he couldn't stand up. He was so top heavy, so you couldn't yes. pose him. So I used to do just giving people shoulder blocks. That's all I had that guy doing. Then he had Bruno <laughs> Sammartino, which was awkwardly posed. He was like he could stand up, but that was the end of it. <laughs> you know and, what and, I mean? And a total anachronistic character. Yeah. Like I remember getting that figure for Christmas and not knowing who it was. Oh no. Yeah, I was like, you know, six or seven years old. It was uh, the mid '80s, and I remember my father's like, "Oh, it's Bruno Sammartino." I was like, "Okay." 
Yeah, he was. He's. I knew him as the guy who was doing. Well, I used to watch all the VHS tapes from Best of the WWF, so okay. I knew who he was from those tapes alone, with the history of the WWF sure. title and all that stuff, right? So I knew who he was, but to me, he was just a guy who was with Vince McMahon and Jesse during the early doing days commentary. of. Yeah, it was just yeah. the guy who would say, hey, Jesse, uh, you know, don't go cheering for the bad guys there, Jesse. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? But anyway. You, you, want, you want to give my son a job? You want yeah. to <laughs> David, uh, he's, a, he's a good boy there. You should hire the David. Uh, he, he has uh, the acne on his back like a gym shooter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David, David San Martino was like a human combustible pimple. He was that, uh... <laughs> oh, gross. You're right, though. <laughs> Yeah, that much steroids raging through his body, brother. Oh. <laughs> That's that, uh, well, I think it was like a Kurt Hennig story where he said, like, he tried pumping some into someone's butt and it came out and he goes, okay, man, you're full. And, uh, that's a, uh, that's a David San Martino. Uh, <laughs> now we, we didn't include a picture of this, but I'm trying to think back to, you know, off the beaten path toys that I played with back in the mid eighties here, um, mid to late eighties, I suppose. Did you ever play with the karate kid figures? No, sir, I did not. But I did enjoy those. Uh, I always wanted. They came. They were on the back of the comic book. They had ads. Yeah, with like yeah, the they paper. were Remco. Yeah. So for some uh-huh. reason, Remco toys didn't really make the transition over the border to Canada. So we missed out on a lot you of. You missed Remco like the things. AWA and stuff. Oh, we missed it all, Chris. It okay. was such a disaster. And then I then I get to see the ads from the comic books, and you see yep. the Karate Kid, and he's on this like like a building set and he's kicking yep. people off and he got the Miyagi figure and the karate kid two toys. And I was like, Oh, yep. oh so good. Oh, they were cool. They were so cool. I remember, uh, cause you, I got the, you know, the Daniel figure with the white gi, you know? Oh, and then nice. like, I went to the store and they had the red gi and, and it's like a real fabric gi. Oh, and it looks so cool. And I, I remember like begging for that and getting it. And they would each come with a breakable item. So like he could do his chopper, his kick. Yeah, through like a board. So it would be like a wooden board with like a cut in it, you know. And then you know right. you can have him. You put the arm up, you click the little thing on his back, and and he and he does a chop, and he goes through the the board. It's I, I love those, and uh, I I don't think I have them anymore. But th- those were a lot of fun, and I love the ads too. They were they were always they always look so fleshed out, you know, like oh so good, like you so could good. have adventures with these characters, but uh. Now, where where were we? We were learning about Mark Gruenwald. <laughs> Damn, and, uh, we're back to him. We are back to Mark Gruenwald and uh, his hobbies. In addition to playing with his daughter's toys, which might include a Cabbage Patch and a Gem doll, uh, he also collects videotapes, and he enjoys annoying people in and around Ralph Macchio, not the Karate Kid's pool, by doing what he calls butt dives. Oh, my God. So many jokes. So little time. It's true. It's true. Um, now, if there were a film made about Mark Gruenwald's life, he would like to see himself played by Edward James Olmos. <laughs> I, I don't know who that is. So he's the guy who plays... He's standing the liver? No, he's the guy who plays Adama in the latest incarnation of Battlestar Galactica. And you know what? Uh, I'm going to turn on my mean girl hat. Ready? <laughs> so, let, let's play some Jeopardy here. He... <laughs> Has more acne than Jim Shooter. <laughs> the answer who, who is, is? <laughs> Edward James almost. <laughs> there you go. You won. Oh, he's a great yeah. he's a great he's a great actor though. I like that guy. Okay. Far no, far like... too good to be playing uh, Mark Grunwald <laughs> doing butt dives and playing with his daughter's toys. <laughs> the thing that uh, Mr. Grunwald is most proud of 
is riding Squadron Supreme number two. His oddest habit is that he is a neat freak. He got it. He got into comics so he could write stories as good as the ones that he grew up reading. Now, his greatest outside of comics achievement is he won the Creskill Award for butt diving <laughs> in New Jersey two years in a row. I, I really. <laughs> no, no one should no one should admit to butt diving as his greatest achievement. <laughs> and, and friends, listeners, and children, please don't Google that because you don't oh, know what. No, somewhere you you'll you'll see the first picture you'll see now because of 2020 is Ricochet. Just keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> now his favorite performers include the Talking Heads, the Three Stooges, and Shintaro Katsu. I like the Three Stooges. Uh, I really got into them. I went on a vacation in Florida with my family. They took me at around 87. And uh, they had Nickelodeon, which we did not have in Canada. And boy, did I – I sucked up Nick at night like it was a, a vaccine, man. I loved it. I watched everything I could get my hands on. Um, and, of course, Three Stooges was one of those. And I really, really dug it. I watched Leave it to Beaver, Three Stooges, you name it. I had it. I watched it all. I loved it. I thought Nickelodeon, like, started in Canada. Uh, we didn't get it. Wow. Oh, so you can't do that on television and all that stuff we had, but we didn't okay. have Nickelodeon. Yeah. We had a lot of Canadian content forced on us. So we were watching uh, the Mighty Hercules and Rocket Robin Hood and other crap. <laughs> and it's funny because like when you first, because like we, we moved from uh, from New York City to uh, to Long Island and uh, in Long Island, it was like impossible to get uh, to get like TV reception without cable. You know, back in New York, you would use the rabbit ears or whatever, and you'd get your yeah. channels. But in, in Long Island, deep off the city, you didn't – we didn't have that luxury, so we'd have to get cable. And that first night, a Nick at Night, was like a revelation when I was like eight. You know, it's yeah. all these things you never seen. Like, uh, like I still remember, like, the first lineup. It was like – it was Mr. Ed, Patty Duke, My Three Sons, Donna Reed, Saturday Night Live because they played old, like, 1970 Saturday Night Lives, SCTV – and uh, Alfred Hitchcock, which scared the crap oh, yes. out of me. Yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. Oh, man. Wild stuff. Yeah, I, I never got into the Stooges, though. I never uh, – I, I like – I'm more a Laurel and Hardy fan. Um, I'll do oh, a little I, bit I, of – I love those, too. Absolutely. Yep. But I never I never got into the Stooges. I, I don't know. I don't know why I never did. But, uh, but uh, you know, that Shintaru Katsu that uh, Mr. Gruenwald likes, uh, he played Zatoichi, the blind uh, samurai, in like in like hundreds or thousands of movies and TV appearances uh, throughout the years. Uh, Mark Gruenwald's last good book read is The Discoverers, colon, A History of Man's Search to Know His World and Himself by Daniel Boostrom. And uh, this sucker weighs in at uh, near 800 pages. What an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when someone talks, <laughs> talks. what was the last good book you read? And it's, and it's never a, something that, like, an actual human would and it's read. it's like a 40-pound doorstop, yeah. <laughs> well, I, well, I like to read the history of man's search to know himself. You know what I mean? If you asked me, I would be like, well, the last book that I read was like, I don't know, the last Starfighter movie adaption that I had as a book order as a kid. I don't know. What a dork. Anyway, move on from this guy. The one you go with is it's always Infinite Jest. That's the book. Yes. That's the last good book you read, Infinite Jest. It's seven billion pages that mean. <laughs> um, now, the last good movie Mr. Gruenwald saw was Raising Arizona. 
Uh, I don't think I've ever seen it, despite living in Arizona. I don't know if it's a prerequisite, but uh, I did it's, not it's good. It's good. Nicholas Cage. Uh, Nicholas Cage. Really good. Yeah. Top notch. Uh, his biggest influences are Stanley, duh, Gardner Fox, and Philip K. Dick. His uh, greatest ambition in life <clears throat> is to write Captain America forever and ever <laughs> and ever. Uh, boy, that's low ball in life right there, bro. Yeah, aim higher, my friend. Aim higher. <laughs> um, the worst part of his job is saying goodbye to his daughter every morning. Oh, I thought it was not being able to butt dive at work. But anyway. I know, that's, that's hard. Uh, <laughs> when nobody's looking, he likes to rearrange his office. And oh, that's what, it's, that's what it's called now, is it? <laughs> hey, I just got to lie back and rearrange the office for a second. <laughs> Why'd you turn the lights out? Uh, <laughs> he would like everyone to know that he is the, he is the James Brown of uh, of comics here he's the hardest working editor in the biz uh, good for you <laughs> so uh yeah that is uh that is mark grunewald uh with a little bit through the weeds but we got through it um this uh also includes the mighty marvel checklist and uh check this out strike force moratory number 12 gets a blurb cool. the first what time in months they, what did they say it said well, it's not an accurate blurb, but it's a blurb. It says the citizens of Earth believe that the strike force has turned traitor, which uh, we didn't get any kind of a word from the man on the street in this issue. But uh, I guess we can assume, uh, I guess. Uh, now, we, we go down to, to the, you know, the, uh, the, the biggest and baddest here of the uh, Mighty Marvel checklist. Punisher number four comes with a blurb that that reads, quote, the Punisher gets shot like he does in every issue. But OK. <laughs> Uh, Power Pack number 33 features a pair of Fallen Angels. Uh, and also the Fallen Angels miniseries mercifully wraps up this month as well. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> the House 2 movie adaptation written by All Ralph right. Macchio and art by Alan Kupperberg. So we talked about how cool House 1 was previous. Now, House 2 is uh, is a bag of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I would not recommend this, nor this the adaptation. This has a different guy from Cheers in it, right? Oh, this is this is this is garbage. This is straight garbage. <laughs> but one of the things that stuck out to me from this solicit here is that it was written by Ralph Macchio. Again, not the Karate Kid, the other one. What are your thoughts anytime you see the name of like a longtime editor or a guy who is only really known as an editor being trotted out to actually write a story? <laughs> Does that Trouble tell not. you it's skippable? Does that tell you? Yes, uh, sir. That means we're filling in gaps and we're taking a property that nobody gives a shit about. We're going to make some <laughs> quick cash. You know, it's like I think about like if you go through like your DC in the 80s collections and stuff and you see any time that like Joey Cavalieri is listed as the writer. Yep. It's like Skip. what? Hot pass. Hot pass. <laughs> Anytime, like Bob Harris <laughs> writing something. It's like, wow, Ugh. what are we doing here? We just can't find a writer, so we need the editor to do it. And it never, it's never good. And <laughs> and uh, I remember, like, the last issue of Green Lantern Corps, you know, that ended, like, the legacy numbering of, like, the Silver Age Green Lantern was written by Joey Cavalieri. It's like, what? <laughs> so bad. <clears throat> But uh, now we also have Captain America number 335, probably written by Mark Grunewald. And uh, this says the new Captain America and Bucky go on their first mission, yeah. which yeah, this is one of the many times Captain America quit. So there's that G.I. Joe, a real American hero, number 65. The Joes get their own space shuttle. And uh, uh. I got to wonder, did this like immediately become a toy? 
Well, man, listen, it became a, it was actually a toy in the Sears wish book a year previous. Also, and it was this, this thing was massive. I mean, when I say massive, it was massive. And not only did it have the space shuttle, it had like a docking bay like and a everything. Lunch pad. Yeah. I, wow. I didn't have, I didn't have this thing. It was way, way, way too expensive and not even available in my hometown, but I had seen one before, but, oh man, that's, that was way out of my reach. That was rich man's blood there, brother. Wow. Now, speaking of like big Joe toys, did you did you or anyone you know own the USS flag? Absolutely not. I had no clue that that thing existed. I had seen it in pictures, but I thought it was just something made for a promotional thing. I never knew that you could actually purchase the USS flag. Did not own one. Did you? I, I did not own one, but a friend did. Oh, you must have hated his guts. Oh, you are not kidding. And it was the, and the coolest thing about it, and this is the dumbest thing in the world, but I thought the coolest thing about it is that it came with a prison, like yes. a cell you could put the the cobras in. Yes. And, and uh, man, I, I remember when, <laughs> when like the uh, the Hasbro was it the Hasbro WWF toys? Was it Hasbro back in the early nineties? Has, yes, it was Hasbro. Okay, I remember like thinking how cool it would be to have the USS flag, and have like that Yokozuna body slam challenge on. <laughs> I'm the dick <laughs> of the intrepid. Let's on the, <laughs> slam Yokozuna on the Fourth of July, <laughs> fighting for America. But uh, yeah, I always thought that'd be the coolest thing in the world, and uh, never got to do it. I'm not even sure if they made a Yokozuna in the Hasbro run. They had I, a I Yoko, they, they definitely had a Yokozuna did they? tour. Okay. Yeah, I okay. think they did. Absolutely. Okay, very, very cool. Um, another uh, from the Mighty Marvel checklist here is RoboCop number one. He's Love half it. man, half machine, but he's all cop. Loved everything about RoboCop, and uh, <laughs> and I mean, I, 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 anything with the Marvel adapt movie adaptations, I bought them all. I, I didn't sure. care what it was. I didn't care if it was uh, Sheena, Hello. Girl of the Jungle. Yeah, I, I loved it all. Loved it mm. all. So <laughs> RoboCop, you know, I, I'd buy that for a dollar. There you go. How about that? There you go. <laughs> now we have learned quite a bit uh, throughout this issue, uh, inside and out, but uh, we also have some advertisements to round us out. And in the first one, the M&Ms play baseball. So we have uh, oh, anthropomorphized M&Ms, right? The, the sad, sad replica of the Smarty, you mean. This is true. This is true. <laughs> now, uh, now I'm only really mentioning this ad because they come with baseball cards, but they say they, they, say they come with baseball players' cards. Hmm. And I've never That's seen baseball cards called that. Interesting wording. I wonder, is like, was baseball cards copyrighted at that That's point? That's what I'm wondering. Because, I mean, what else would it be? Would it actually be pictures of baseballs? Is that like a baseball card, a picture of a baseball? I, <laughs> that, that, that really uh, – Maybe they were just being very specific. They might have been. They might have been. Baseball players left arm cards. Yeah. <laughs> Something tells me that uh, whoever was making the cards at that time probably had a monopoly on on the baseball card thing, and you couldn't just – Yeah. Something. Yeah. Some, something's definitely off with that wording for sure. Yeah. This is a flying disc, not a Frisbee. Um, <laughs> this one, uh, as if we haven't mentioned acne enough, uh, we've got some zittles. Uh, uh, now, it's been a little while since we last recorded, so these very well might be the same zittles that we discussed last episode. Um, the first question is, what do you call the kind of acne you'd like to hide behind a book? Uh, shooter acne. <laughs> <laughs> it is paperbackne. 
Oh. Yeah. <laughs> He's here all night, everybody. Uh, try, yeah, try the waitress, tip the veal. Um, now, uh, what do you call two matching pimples, one on each cheek? And before, you know, I want to clarify, we're probably talking about on the face. <laughs> well done. I don't know. What are they? Twimples. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think I can safely say ziddles are disgusting. Um, <laughs> yes, they are. But next time we're going to have more. We're going to have more oh. ziddles, including a contest. Not a contest we're running because we're not all about that. <laughs> this is a contest that either Stridex or whoever these people are, Oxy. Or, I don't even you know, know, you know who you know who should have ran the ads for this thing. They should have had, they should have got Jim shooter together with Edward James, almost and Brian <laughs> Adams from Canadian music. And those and guys, David San Martino. <laughs> David San Martino. And they should have just ran the Ziddles campaign for everybody. Just bursting each other's pimples. Oh, gross. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we will have a, uh, we will have that contest next time. Uh, I'm the mean uh, girl of this podcast. <laughs> Another advertisement we have. You can learn George Brett's Secrets of Baseball on VHS and Beta. Ooh. Now, uh, for $14.95 American plus $3.30 <laughs> shipping and handling, plus $0.97 cents if you live in California, you can get God. all of his secrets. Good Lord, for Man, oh man, I would like uh, I would like some sexual favors as well with for that price for fourteen ninety five, my brother. <laughs> and for the effort, I mean, you have to do math for this. That's um, that's, and, <laughs> that's some sm- that's a small house mortgage back in eighty seven. <laughs> and you also have to allay, allow six to eight weeks, probably closer to eight, for delivery. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it reads it reads the following here: George Brett is going to show you how to improve your game. The 1980 American League MVP and two-time league batting champ tells the secret of his incredible .314 batting average, 200 home runs, 1,000 RBIs, and 2,000 hits. So uh, if you've got, uh, you know, about 20 bucks American, you could, uh, and and, and eight eight weeks left to live, you can uh, probably (laughs) learn how to improve your baseball game by watching someone play baseball. Uh, And if if it was that easy... Wouldn't you just get better by watching baseball? My God, do you think you'd have that figured out in eight weeks? You wouldn't have to wait for us to spend all that money. <laughs> Lord, you just self-train yourself weeks. from scratch. <laughs> there you go. Man. Uh, our next ad is a is a really cool one. I like this one a lot. It's uh, it's called It's 1987. Do you know what your children are? And this is a playoff of the. Uh, I don't know if they had these in Canada, but I remember these commercials because uh, I was a I was a scared rabbit as a kid and. I, weirdest crap freaked me out as we've as we've documented on this program but around like uh, during like the evening news or the nightly news like probably like 10 30 11 o'clock at night a commercial would come on and it would say it's 11 p.m do you know where your children are and it would be like like a just a stark scene of like a city uh, neighborhood an empty yikes. city neighborhood and it, it always freaked me out but uh this this ad advertisement here is kind of playing on that, and it's an advertisement for the Fall of the Mutants crossover for the X-Men. And it has, like, these four little, very photorealistic black-and-white pictures of children. And they, they just look like normal kids, but the last one has the word Muty scrawled across its face in red ink. Such a powerful ad. I just think this is one of the coolest uh, comic ads 
I, I do too. It really, it really sticks out. It's almost like a missing child poster or yes. something. I, th- I thought it was really cool. And you know what? Growing up, we didn't living in Newfoundland. We really didn't have any, you know, kidnapping cases or murders <laughs> or anything. And I distinctly remember being frightened to death because we had one murder on the island. A, a oh, poor wow. young girl, a poor young girl named Dana Bradley, was sadistically murdered, and she was lost for a while. And it was this big campaign. So. When, uh, you know, when posters started going up for, you know, have have you seen Dana Bradley? I mean, that used to terrify me. So, oh, I mean, boy. yeah, this this was not cool. So it was one of those, you know, ultimate horror shows when you're a kid to see some of your friends poked up on a sign like that. So not cool. But, yeah, that really does a good job of, of doing uh, of doing that. So really, really cool ad. Yeah, very, very subtle, very, very powerful. But uh, we also have an ad for Sure Shot Savings. This is a Marvel subscription ad that features Hawkeye and Mockingbird. In it, Hawkeye fires an arrow through an issue of Solo Avengers, which makes me figure that some dude who would eventually work (laughs) at Malibu Comics went, Aha! I like that. Indeed. Well, no. what would a what would a subscription you know cost for a book today? I mean, do they even have these things? Do we even have subscription ads anymore, except you for in Archie they, Comics? You know, I don't think so. Let me let me uh, Google that Marvel Comics subscription here. I don't know if they uh, if they actually. I'm sure they do. My God, right? if you subscribe to a book for 12 months in in 2020, it would cost you like your your oldest child. Let's see here. Uh, they, it's Everything I'm seeing here is like digital. Let's see. Oh, you know they, uh, you know they actually have decent deals here. Uh, if you were to get a subscription of X Men, which would normally set you back forty seven dollars and eighty eight cents, your price here is twenty eight dollars ninety six cents. So you really? save forty percent. That's not uh, that's not terrible. I mean, it's, they, it's basically what, what you get it. Hopefully they have a better delivery method than they did back when I subscribed. So sure. they used to come into like this uh, cardboard mailer. And by the time <laughs> you did it, it would be a mangled mess with oh, oh, dog urine and, and feces. Yep. It's just a disaster. <laughs> now, if you act before Halloween 1987, so make sure you do this quick, uh, you will save $2.75 on every Marvel title. That's right. Instead of paying 75 cents like losers and saps in the newsstand, you're going to only pay 59 cents. Also, <laughs> your comic will probably be bent in half upon arrival. So <laughs> there is work. that. And, you know, I'm looking at this ad and we got, you know, Hawkeye and Mockingbird. And it just it makes me like it makes me like nostalgic for a long time ago here, because, I mean, the, neither of these characters look anything like this now. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, so I, I I really love their look back then, honestly. They, oh I yeah, Hawkeye that Hawkeye miniseries that they that they brought out in the early '80s, the limited yeah. series, was one of my favorite books at the time. I loved that as sure. a kid. No, he was he was such a cool character, and now it's just like, man, nah. <laughs> it's like now he's too cool for school. Yeah, yeah just a dude in sunglasses. Now, in our final ad, this is on the back cover, and it was on the back cover of a lot of Marvel comics back in the day. This one features Meatloaf. Whoa. Now, have you written? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't. I don't presume that a lot of people have done this, but uh, I've mentioned this meatloaf ad a few times in my blogging career, and every single time, I always type it out as meatload. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I always miss the F, and I hit that's D. A, that, that's a different kind of performer, Chris. <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> it might be a Freudian slip. I don't know. But this is a uh, meatloaf colon the humongous rock star of the universe 
And the story that he's involved in is called Heroes Helping Heroes. And in it, he is jamming out on stage and it looks like he's trying to have it looks like he's like in the middle of like a really, really painful bowel movement. <laughs> his face is, his, that's the meat load. He, uh, he was very, very uh, contorted <laughs> here. And he's he's there on stage with his guitar. I'm assuming he's singing, but he's also thinking to himself <clears throat> as in there's a thought balloon over his head. And he thinks that the Special Olympians are the real heroes, and he's going to give them everything he's got. Then he asks the crowd if they're going to help him in his thought balloon, of course. And we figure that this crowd must be full of telepaths because they all seem to have been able to read his thoughts. Though, in in fairness, the crowd seems to be mostly comprised of Marvel superheroes, and one of them is Jean Grey, who might have filled (laughs) them all in. Um They ask how they can help, to which Meatloaf breaks the fourth wall and tells them to return the attached coupon. And so, for a $5 USD donation plus $2 postage, Orpheum Records will send you the 1981 International Special Olympics theme music on record or cassette. Wow. This is 1987. Um, I don't know why you're going to get the 1981 International Special... Maybe they only happen every six years? I don't know. But, uh... (laughs) But yeah, you uh, you would get that, and it's worth noting that this coupon has a fingerprint on it for some reason, like it's a can of Dinty Moore stew. I don't know why. <laughs> you know what? I I I dig meatloaf, man. The first, my first, uh, my first. Well, I I'm not talking about meatloaf here, just meatloaf to be clear. <laughs> but my uncle always used to have record albums, and you know okay. some of the more adult albums. I mean, when I was a kid, I listened to Sesame Street records, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Twisted okay. Sister, you know the the good stuff. <laughs> The kid stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but he used to have Bad Out of Hell, and the cover always intrigued me. You know, it was this ripped guy with, I think he had a girl on the back of a motorcycle riding out of hell, you know what I mean? And it yeah. just did, oh man, I just thought that cover was so cool. And then I saw Meatloaf, this haggardy, <laughs> fat ass, sweaty, dirty looking man who, uh, a sang man who like looked a, like he'd be named singer. Meatloaf. Yes. And I thought this was going to be like a metal album. Instead, it was like a rock opera, you know what I mean? It was. Yeah. I really dig it now. I got to say, you know, Bad Out of Hell, amazing record. So, hmm, I guess two out of three ain't bad, Chris. <laughs> hey, I get that one. <laughs> but, yeah, that will actually do it here. This is that's cover to cover. Strike Force Murray Turi number 12. And uh, wow, it's a long time coming, a long time to cover it and a heck of a lot of fun. If Boy, I, we, we could. So. Uh, Baby, we can talk all night. <laughs> <laughs> But that ain't getting us nowhere. (laughs) As long as we ain't telling each other zittles, we'll be good. (laughs) Oh, you know what? And actually, I'm wrong. I'm actually rolling through our notes here, and the pimples on either cheek is not twimples. It's opposites. Oh. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't know if that's better, worse, or uh, same old crap. I don't know. But, uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that but before we head out why don't you do some uh plugin well well my brother i'm like everybody else just just uh trying to stay alive here in 2020 so uh basically you can find me on the twitter that's basically where i'm hanging out for uh for now until forever and uh, you can also catch me over on the Radlish and Broadcasting Network or the W2M. Uh, we do some uh, wrestling podcasts with, of course, Mr. Chris Sheehan as well. Mm-hmm. And we got one coming up covering WrestleMania from God knows where. 
Yeah, over how many nights? Who knows? Uh, two <laughs> nights, three nights. At this point, nobody cares. But uh, Live taped, cartoon animated? We don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> but we will see. But, we will uh, be but, there. But hopefully very soon we'll have uh, episode number 13 and we'll uh, kickstart episode two of season two of uh, Moratory Mondays. And I can't wait. It was good to be back, Chris. Absolutely it was. It feels real good to be back on the mic again. And uh, if you uh, would like to find me, I'm also on the Twitter machine at Ace Comics. I am not a UK comic shop. I'm a man. (laughs) I'm not a shark. I'm not a fish. I am not a UK comic shop. I'm a man. Um, you can also find me at uh, chrisandreggie.com and chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, where I am still blogging every single day, even though, uh, you know, who knows if anybody cares. But it's there if you want to see it. Um, as a matter of fact, I've uh, kind of jumped into a different format, a nice little new feature where I discuss what I call DC near misses. So these are things that might have been pitched to DC that DC passed on, things that were... Uh, originally intended to f- appear in a DC comic, uh, things that, uh, you know, where Marvel and DC went to court over something or whatever. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. It's really broadened the scope of the blog, and uh, it's really scratched that research itch that I've uh, that I've needed scratched for quite a while. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. I hope, uh, hope the folks reading do as well, and uh, if you're interested in that, uh, it's there. Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. But, uh, I think that's about all we got, uh, unless you got anything else to share. No, sir. Those DC near misses are must read. So you really got to check those things out. I've learned so much just <laughs> catching up on that stuff. So thank you for the research, sir. You're oh, doing the Lord's you. work on those. <laughs> well, that'll that'll do it for us. And uh, we will uh, thank you so, so much for hanging out. And uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. And on behalf of Jim Shooter, keep on popping. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> <laughs>